Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the Eco Wild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. Presented by Hunting Exchange, a marketplace for serious hunters by serious hunters. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. This week, we're talking about a bunch of exciting stuff that has to do with mapping, and saddles and 
topo maps and all kinds of stuff with Clifton Denny from Arkansas. Clifton, how are you doing? Man, I'm doing all right. How about yourself? I'm doing real good. Jacob? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'll tell you one thing right now. First off, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Andrew normally says that early on, but you know we kind of missed it. Missed it. We missed it on one of our last episodes. Like a rookie. Yeah, like a rookie. Rookie status there after doing this. Is, by the way, this is our 300th episode, by the way, Clifton. I, I wasn't going to tell you that until okay. we get on here. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> this no is a big 300. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so yeah, this is our 300th episode. So super excited about this. But yeah, guys, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Um, and again, if you've enjoyed the episode, share Share it with the buddy. We absolutely appreciate that feedback. Uh, but Clifton, super excited to have you on here, my man. Uh, and, you know, you were recommended to us by, of course, a mutual friend, Richard Fott. And, uh, you know, one thing that we're going to be talking a lot about today is kind of hill country bucks, but also just how much you kind of implement going off of topo maps to really put yourself in the right position. But before we really get into the weeds on it, Clifton, can you give us a little background just about yourself? Uh, I know you're from Arkansas, but, uh, you know, kind of what was that transition like from, you know, what you used to do back in the day to what's been helping you be successful the last few years? Yeah, man. So, so I'm gonna have to give a shout out to my boy, Richard, real quick. Right. So, um, it's going to take a few minutes, but going back, right? So I grew up in uh, in kind of south central Arkansas, right? And it's nothing but pine thickets and corn feeders, two hundred yard shooting lanes and a seven mag. That was it. I, I got my my dad bought me a seven mag. A lot of people are against it, man. I've been shooting a gun since I was six. He bought me a seven mag when I was twelve, and uh, I hunted with it exclusively for years. And um, so, anyways, um, whenever I guess it's been about seven years ago now. So any any of the deer you actually see. Um, that are mounted. I have nine. I've killed um, 13 Pope and Youngs in the last six years. Um, and so anyways, prior to that, the deer that's over my, I guess it'd be my right shoulder. Um, anyways, I was I was hunting here in South Arkansas and I'd never really been into bow hunting. I'd killed one doe with my bow and a team knocked up, started up, right? And so Richard and I kind of started talking and um, I ended up putting up a camera and I was going to move it to go put on a place with some does. And whenever I went out to check my corn pile, uh, this deer was on camera and I killed him two days later because he was like clockwork, easiest buck I've ever killed. Um, and so anyways, um, later on in that season, I ended up meeting Richard. I went and met, he was making some of the camo dust stuff uh, before camo dust came around or came back. And so anyways, I went and met him to get some and we were talking and you know, I have a couple of 130 inch deer that I killed here with a rifle, which where I'm at is, you know, a once in a lifetime buck. And so Richard and I was kind of, you know, talking and he was like, man, he's like, you know why you're not killing, you know, 140s and 150s with your bow? And I was like, why? And he's like, because you're not hunting where they grow. You know what I mean? And so, uh, and so here nor there, the one line of advice that, that woke up the inner beast, I guess you'd say was, that was it, man. Um, and so anyways, I started that year hunting, um, river bottoms and stuff i grew up uh, around clarendon whenever i was young so duck hunted and such and uh anyway so i started hunting slough pinch points and everything like that that i feel like everybody that bow hunts like that's that's your first go-to right is you know i want something in close so i started hunting pinch points and uh i did that for a couple years um or about a year i guess and um come towards the end of season everything in arkansas flooded out mississippi river came up and uh, everything flooded out. And the place that I hunt now, I actually had messaged Richard and was like, everything's flooded out. And he, he was like, well, what about this place? And, uh, and anyways, I didn't even know it was there. And I grew up 45 minutes from it, right? And so um, he was like, man, there's really big deer. But they're hard to kill, you know, whatever. And um, luck has it, I pulled up a topo map and, um, you know, I've been in the military for 13 years and work with topo maps, I'm sea burn. So um, airflow is kind of my job. And so anyways, 
Um, I pulled up a topo map and looked at it, and that spot now is called Cliffy's Playhouse, if you talk to any of my buddies, because I've <laughs> killed four Pupignons. I've killed four Pupignons in a 600-yard stretch. But, you know, that's the big deal about those saddles, too, is just because that deer crosses it that day there, if that wind shifts, you know, this much, if you're looking at a pie shape, you know, it shifts this much, you need to move down 200 yards. Um, and so, anyways, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I started, you know, the public land game. And then um, from there, you know, I started killing some pretty good deer in Arkansas. And then I started bouncing around and wanted to see if, if it was just an Arkansas thing. So I kind of bounced around a couple other states and um, have been pretty successful, you know, the, the way that I use the topo map by the, by the wind currents, as a lot of people like to say. So, uh, yeah. So let me take this away. So one thing that was interesting about you, Clifton, uh, from what Richard was telling me was just how much you rely off topo maps. And, you know, we hear, if you listen to the podcast for any length of time, any listeners know that we talk about topo maps quite a bit and understanding terrain features and, and different features that you can key in off some of these maps, along with talking about habitat edges and the whole nine yards. But you rely a lot off these topo maps and, and we're going to really dive into these and uh, this a little bit, but you know, it kind of comes from your military background playing a factor to, Hey, you know, you're doing it for work, you're doing it for career. Well, why not relating that to the, to the whitetail woods and start implementing that. And you mentioned one thing already, which is talking about saddles. Now we've had guys on, we've talked about saddles in the past, but saddles is something that it seems like a lot of people key in on. And that's something that you've had success with, but it's also a bigger picture than just that said saddle there. Uh, can you talk a little bit about kind of your background when it comes to, you know, reading these topo maps and some of these features that you're kind of looking at before you kind of go big picture on the map? That's right. I'll tie in both of them, right? So the military term, a Joe trail, right? So a Joe trail is the easiest point in between two lines, right? Or in between two dots. We call it a Joe trail. And so whenever I first started hunting topo maps, um, which is whenever I started hunting public land, right? I was looking for a Joe trail, which is the easiest way that deer can travel. Um, a lot of guys focus on those saddles because it's the easiest way that deer can travel. But if you're hunting a saddle and you don't understand how the wind moves through there, that's the reason you're not seeing deer on a saddle. So you get, you know, and, and nothing against a podcast or a TV show or stuff like that, but you get these guys like hone in on these saddles, hone in on these saddles. Well, you know, one in three guys is going to go in there and he's going to get lucky because the wind's moving through there, right? You know, but if uh, if the wind's not moving through there, right, then those other two guys are sitting over here like, oh, you know, they say go hunt a saddle. And so you've got, you know, me being a saddle hunter, I don't want to tell everybody that whenever I'm going into the woods because if you don't know the whole picture, you know, looking out, you know, if you zoom in on a saddle on a map and it says you've got a north wind, well, that's outstanding, right? So your your saddle's running east and west. You walk in there and you've got a good trail 25 yards below that that saddle on the north side. And you're like, oh, I'm set. Well, are you taking consideration is the wind moving at eight miles an hour or is the wind moving at 18 because you've got another ridge straight in front of you? So if it's moving at 18, think of it like a ramp, right? It's going to come over. So you're probably good to go. But if it's moving at eight, it's pulling it right in there to you. You know what I mean? Um, and so anyways, that's, that's kind of, you know, it's, it's a two, it's a double-edged sword. You can't use one without using the other and be successful. So I want to, I want to really dive into this and kind of pick this apart because it's a really interesting subject, but it's, it's a pretty complicated subject too, but also it's just, it's also fascinating to me. So, uh, I want you to dive into basically your thoughts on the wind, um, how, how deer might use the wind and stuff like that. Cause I feel like that's going to preface the whole conversation. So what, what are your thoughts on how deer use the wind? And then I really want to get into terrain and how terrain affects wind and stuff like that. Okay. Um, so 
you can't talk about the wind without talking about scrapes and rubs and mature deer, right? So um, my, my theory on scrapes and rubs is different than a lot of other guys. Um, Midwest aside, you know, I've seen all the hunting shows, I got it. But out here where I'm at, I've never seen a five and a half, a five and a half year old deer chasing a doe. Never, right? Unless it's late season and it's a little doe. Um, but those mature does, so like in my opinion, these bucks are making the scrapes so the does know that's his corridor because they want that mature buck too, right? They want that dominant buck. They're not trying to get chased around for three days by a spike, right? They want to come to that guy so he can run all this other stuff off. So they're only dealing with one instead of five, right? And so anyways, talking about that leads into the scrapes, right? So um, the topo map and hunting the wind to me comes off of scrapes. So most of the time you'll see your scrapes on those ridge points, right? Everybody's, everybody's walked a ridge, walked the ridge, and you know, you'll know if you're on public land because there'll be like nine trees that's got skating marks on the side of it from dudes that are climbing up and down trying to hunt over the top of these. Well, really and truly, if they'll move 100 yards upwind of it, they're gonna kill that deer, right? And so anyways, um, so talking about talking about the wind and the way the wind moves through the hills, in my opinion, and I'll say that all the time, right? Because hey, this is the way I hunt. I don't care if it's the way you hunt or not. You know, I've been successful with it, so I'm gonna keep doing it. Um, it's proven to me. And so, anyways, all right. So wind currents, and uh, I guess I'll get into what I was telling Richard that night. Um, so when you let me see if I can find something. All right, I'm gonna use this. Y'all good with that? Yep. Can yep. I use something? All right, man. So you've got this, right? Say this side is north and this side is south. Now, let me say this. I want to say one thing, Clifton. So this is an audio show. So why, why you're doing Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no, you're good. So, so why, I was going to say, why you're having to describe it, just to describe it also for the audio listeners. Again, kind of like what we're doing. We're talking about these wind currents and, again, uh, how that affects based off what you're doing in, in the, uh, you know, hill country, okay? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll attempt to do it without this. All right, perfect. I think I can do it without um, and again, y'all are only like the fourth person I've ever explained this to because I like to keep it, you know, in my pocket. So, <laughs> uh, if you don't understand it, let me know and I'll, I'll try to, you know, do it a different way. So, um, a north wind is easy to use, right? So we're just going to talk about a north wind, right? So say you've got a wind coming out of the north and we're going to pretend for a minute that there's not a ridge in front of that one, right? So you've got a ridge that's running east and west, okay? And you've got the wind coming out of the north, right? So... Whenever you see a mature buck, everybody's walked through the woods and they've seen a mature buck, right? Where are those deer usually at? Downwind of a steep ridge, either a quarter of the way up or 75% of the way down. Where I hunt at most of the time, like I don't, I don't hunt bottoms. I don't hunt the bottom of these draws. Um, you don't see deer cruising around in there. You might see some scrapes in there. But you don't ever see deer cruising around there during the daylight. And so in my opinion, the reason that that's happened is the wind currents and the way that they work over the top of the ridges and they use the dead spaces, right? So a buck. You think about it whenever wind comes over something. So I use this uh, this reference whenever I explain it before, right? So get you a piece of plywood and stand that piece of plywood up. Get you a blower. Get your get your wife with your blower, right? Your shot blower. Stand back about ten foot away from that. Take some powder and shake some powder in front of that piece of plywood. Stand it straight up and down now, right? Shake the powder and blow it. So use that as a saddle. So, you know, in the middle of a saddle, a lot of time you'll have kind of a steep bank. You'll have some fingers on the side, but you'll have kind of that steep bank gully, right? So think whenever you shake that bag and you're blowing that blower at it, all that stuff's doing this, right? It's going back the direction that the wind's coming from. It's rolling backwards, right? So you take that same piece of plywood and you lean it over at like a 30 degree angle. You do the exact same thing 
look at what the wind does on the opposite side. I don't care what it's doing on the front side. I care about what it's doing on the opposite side. So if that, if your does, because your does are feeding on top of the ridge, right? Which is the reason everybody wants to go up there. That's where your red oaks are. That's where your white oaks are. So all these guys on public land where you can't bait, that's what you're after, right? So these bucks, whenever people are like, oh, well, you know, you never see them that 25% of the way from the top to the top, right? There's, there's a gap right there usually. Well, the reason for that, it's a dead space, right? So if you have a deer that's up on top and those wind currents are coming over and you've got that 30% grade, right? When that wind comes over, wind doesn't just fall out, right? It, 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 that's not a thing. Wind doesn't just die. It keeps moving, right? And so you get that tunnel effect. So whenever the wind comes over the top of that and you've got that 25% range, it's the reason I never hunt there. Right? I'm never going to hunt from the top to 25% of the way down because that buck is going to be at that 25% mark. Now, this is like an eight mile an hour wind. We'll just use that as a reference, right? So it's not a very hard wind. So when that fallout happens, that's where you want to be, right? Because that's where that buck's going to be coming. So a lot of people get mistaken and they want to be up there close to that edge thinking this buck is going to be right here so that he can smell them really well. No, he's not going to do that. He's going to be 25% of the way down waiting on that fallout, that, that, that rotation. And you'll see that if you, you know, do the experiment that I was just talking about. Um, but anyway, so now say that you've got a 20 mile an hour wind, right? And this is, this is, this gets into what I think makes me successful whenever I hunt saddles, right? So I always look at the wind speed, right? So the wind speed is going to tell me if I'm going to be 25% of the way up the ridge, or if I'm going to be 25% from the top. And the reason being, if it's a high wind day, right? So you got 20 mile an hour winds, exact same setup, um, a ridge running east and west and a north wind. So you've got 20 mile an hour winds and you know you got does on top, whether that's right on, around a finger or it's a feed tree, whichever, right? So you know that you're gonna have does up top. Where's that mature buck gonna be? You might have some young bucks that's up there, right? We all know that they're dumb. They do what young bucks do, right? But where's your mature buck gonna be? Why aren't you seeing him sitting on top of this ridge? Well, the reason you're not seeing him sitting on top of this ridge, so now you've got a 20 mile an hour wind. Now this ridge works as a ramp. Right, so when that wind hits it, it's coming over the top, and now you're skipping this whole gap that's on the back side of this ridge, and the fallout now is going to be further down the ridge than what it would be with a light wind, and that's why I was talking to you guys, you know, saying that to me, yes, I hunt a topo map, 110%. That's that's all I go off of. I don't go by, you know, um, thickets, feed trees. I, I I can't tell you the last time I hunted a feed tree, really. Um, and, and the reason being is because I understand wind currents and how they work. So, um, you know, and the thing is, is like I said, 30%, but the, the, the percentage of your, um, where the topo map comes into effect for me is the percentage of the grade, right? So if those lines are closer together, you know, it's going to be steeper. So you're going to have more of that kind of what I call like a ramp effect. Right. Um, and so anyways, that's, does that does that kind of explain what I was trying to get at there? Yeah, and I'll just kind of just hash it out just again, just for some listeners. I think you did a great great job with it. But again, it's just about that. It's kind of like the eddying effect. Depending on the wind velocity and also the steepness of the terrain on both sides of the ridge can affect right. when that wind current comes over the top of that ridge. How soon does it start dropping back down the backside of that ridge point? Whether it's you know within like you said the first you know quarter of the way down the ridge that wind's starting to drop back down and there's kind of like an eddying effect there or a super high wind velocity day it might be almost down just above the bottom before that wind kind of starts dropping back over the top of that ridge kind of like a you could probably look at it like a uh, like you know if you had your uh, well let's see uh, oh, I'm trying to think how how to I'm trying to think with a vehicle 
how you could explain it with a vehicle too. I, I absolutely understand what you're talking about when it comes to the, the, the diagram I mean, and everything. To oversimplify it, so like yep. the higher the wind velocity, the lower down the hill the bucks are going to be when they're cruising. That's right. Okay. Yep. So, so now, now I'm going to blow your mind, right? So this is another theory, right? So guys that talk about wind changing direction constantly, right? So, so the dudes and the, the guys that I'm talking about here are the guys that are hunting terrain features, right? They're, they're using a topo map. They go up top. They don't see any sign. They walk through the bottom on their way back to the truck because it's easier and they find a bunch of rubs and scrapes, right? Usually rub, especially down low, right? So you, you'll find a bunch of rubs and scrapes. You'll find some uh, some trails down there crossing a creek or whatever. So they're trying to focus on those, like we was talking about before, those pinch point areas and those kind of things. So what they do, right? So they'll they'll go up because they still want to be able to shoot that saddle. You know what I mean? So they'll go up 50% of the way so that they've got a 40-yard shot to right there at the break at the bottom, and they've got a 40-yard shot up to the top, right? So you, you see that a lot. And, um, and I've had this conversation multiple times with my friends because uh, one of them, and I won't say his name, but... Um, one of his spots, I ended up going in there with him and, and I actually had to show him what I was talking about. So when you're talking about wind currents, right? So now, now let's broaden the picture out, right? If you're that guy and you're hunting on the front side of that ridge, right? And the wind's coming at you and the saddle's back behind you, okay? So you're hunting on that north side of the ridge because you're trying to, you're trying to get the deer not to wind you that are below you. You're not worried about what's up in the saddle necessarily, okay? So anyways, there is a point that that wind is going to pull and push on that ridge. Make sense? So if you go back to like the blower thing, right, and you get that bag of dust um, and you go to shaking it and you got your piece of plywood up, there will be a point if you're angling this, you know, so if you're angling your blower on the front side of it, so that's your effect of your wind coming out of the north, right, there will be a point where that wind goes down and it goes up. It rolls up and it rolls down. So, you know, my advice to guys is stay the hell away from that halfway up that ridge. You know what I mean? Because what you think you're doing is staying up above that deer, right? So you're trying to hunt that deer that's cruising that 25% of the way from the bottom up, right? Um, stay the hell away from that. And the reason that I say that is, is because the way that that wind moves, when it hits you, it's using you as that board effect that is sitting straight up and down. So what is your wind gonna do? It's gonna roll back underneath and it's gonna hit the ground and it's just that tunnel effect. So it's gonna roll straight back downwind to that deer. You think your wind's going over your shoulder heading south because that's what the weatherman said, right? Um, and then you come back out of the woods and you tell your buddies, man, the wind's just swirling this morning. No, it's not. It's hitting you and you are causing that wind to swirl. Does it make sense? No, that makes a lot now, of sense. And that's, that's to me, I think that, that gets guys a lot. They don't, they don't think of their self as an object that is affecting that wind travel. You know what I mean? So if you're if you're sitting in an oak tree that's you know two foot across and you're sitting here, well, every break in that oak tree or every break in a tree or whatever is causing different effects with that wind. So if you're if you're hunting on a point and there's a break around the edge, you know, on that that ridge that's in front of you, well, you're not only going to get the effect that comes over the top of it from the north, but you're also going to get that twist around the edge, around the end. So if it's on the east side. Now you're actually, when the wind gets to you, it's actually moving northwest. It's not actually moving northeast. You know what I mean? It's not moving straight north anymore because you have wind currents from both. And that's why I always say whenever, you know, any of my buddies find a spot and I, I pull up my phone and show you, you know, at least 10 guys that in the last two days have sent me pictures of a topo map, um, screenshots, right, from Onyx. Like, hey, is this a good spot? And I'm like, I don't know, zoom out. 
right? Because yeah, that saddle looks great. There's two fingers that come up to it. You could probably sit right there on the back side of it and shoot both of those fingers, You'd probably be outstanding. But what's the ridge on the other side of that look like? And if you're not taking that into effect, then you're not taking in one of the most important aspects, which is the wind currents, right? So we all know that deer use saddles. I don't think that there's a person in the world that would tell you that deer don't use saddle, right? It's a Joe trail. It's the easiest way from point A to point B. So when it comes to bucks cruising and cruising corridors, they like saddles. The reason they like saddles is the same way that saddles are hard to hunt. It's because the wind comes from multiple directions. Um, and so anyways, uh, you know, if, if you aren't paying attention to the terrain that's around you, you're, you're, you're fighting a losing battle before you even start. Hunting Gear Deals is dedicated to helping the hunting community find the best deals on hunting gear from across the web. Each day they scour the web for deals, sales, and coupon codes on hunting gear to help you save time and money on your next purchase. Head on over to huntinggeardeals.com and join their daily deal email list. Each day you'll receive deals that are emailed to you uh, from across the country on the best sales and promos that are going on for that day for your favorite hunting equipment. If you're a gear fanatic like us, then be sure to check out their extensive collection of unbiased and honest gear reviews submitted by hunters from across the country just like yourself. Black Friday and Cyber Monday is coming up, so when you're out shopping for yourself or for Christmas gifts, make sure that you check out Hunting Gear Deals for some great finds. Hunting Gear Deals is your number one resource during Black Friday and Cyber Monday for hunting-related deals across the web. During these special sales events, Hunting Gear Deals compiles a huge list of all the best hunting-related deals in one place, saving you time and money. Make sure to go click the link in the show notes to go visit huntinggeardeals.com and see all the great deals they have right now. Cruiser Saddles is the newest addition to companies supporting this podcast. Cruiser is the maker of saddles and saddle hunting gear. Uh, me and Jacob actually met Chad, the owner, at our Bozen Brews event in March of 2020. We were demoing a lot of different saddles there from a lot of different companies, and he showed up with his products, which were brand new at the time, and everybody there was extremely impressed with them, including me and Jacob. We ended up getting some of the saddles for this past hunting season, used them all year from, basically, we started hunting in August and hunted until February. No complaints, really liked them, the durability was there, the comfort was there, the wearability was there, you know, walking in and out to the stand, so we are very impressed. You can go back to some of the episodes from last year and actually hear us you know live through the season talking about these things we talked about them a lot in the podcast from last year's season just really impressed and we think you would like them too so go to their website and check them out we ran the xc orders ship the same day or next day unless otherwise indicated and you get free shipping on orders over 300 dollars we really appreciate cruiser for supporting this show you guys go show them some support as well so yeah and see i'm super excited about all this stuff because this is you know a, a, a solid portion of what we're going to be talking about with this episode is talking about the wind velocities and wind currents. And we've talked a lot about this on previous episodes, but it's kind of cool to have somebody that really not only has kind of like the background, both kind of career wise, it deals with stuff like this, but also uh, the experience hunting deer, you know, using these kind of features and understanding this. Um, but like what you're saying, you know, there, there is a lot of things that can change wind direction and it's not as simple as, Oh, it's going to be a North wind. Well, it's going to be coming from the North. Um, and you mentioned, you know, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this, like whether you have a ridge in front of you that's at a higher elevation than where you are, you know, there's going to be a weird eddying effect there. It could be a 180 degree wind switch from one side of the ridge to the other side of the ridge based off what that wind velocity is doing and kind of where you're set up on. But before we kind of get down that rabbit hole, one thing you've mentioned is both the windward side of the ridge, which if it's a north wind, it'd be the north side of the ridge. 
-hmm. And also the leeward side of the ridge, which would be the downwind portion of the ridge. So if there's a north wind, it'd be the south side of the ridge. When it comes to your experience hunting both sides, do you have a preference? I mean, do you like that downwind side majority of the time, especially with what we're talking about? Do you like the windward side on the north side of the ridge? What's your take on that? Man, I like that. So, again, in my opinion, so mature deer move with their nose in the wind, right? I think 99% of the hunters would, would agree with that. So most guys try to move on these deer with a crosswind, right? That's probably the, the smartest aspect that a lot of people go through. Um, again, you know, I don't do that. So I like to hunt the front side is what I call them, by the way. And, and um, so if it was a north wind, I like to be on the north side. I don't, I don't like to get on that back side. There's too many dead spots. Um, that's usually the go-to for a lot of people because they're thinking that, you know, that deer's walking the top of that ridge. So they're trying to, you know, get upwind of him um, so he doesn't smell them. I, 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 I prefer not to get on that side. I, very, very rarely I'll get on the south side. About the only time that you'll see me on the south side, especially here in Arkansas, is if I haven't filled a buck tag by, you know, the end of January, early February, and we get a really strong, um, you know, winter front that moves in. It's super cold and it's a strong wind. If we've got a really strong wind, you know, coming out of the north and it's cold, I'll get on that south side then. Um, but I primarily only hunt the rut. And, and I hate to, like, I'm not trying to be cocky, but I take off two weeks um, every year, the time of year that the rut's happening, usually where I like to hunt at. And um, typically I'm done by those two weeks. Uh, and, and so I don't, I don't have to do all this other stuff. You know what I mean? I don't have to go find a feed tree or whatever, not, not knocking it. But a lot of dudes are successful that way um to each their own but the the way that i like to hunt i like to find cruising corridors and that's what those saddles are i mean it, it's it is what it is the the mature deer get wind from multiple directions and they know that you know they know most dudes don't understand the wind current so they can get the hell away from them. so before we before we run past it uh the big question mark mm -hmm. is in these scenarios that we're talking about so we got that east and west uh running ridge then we got the north wind well, what happens when that north wind becomes like a northwest wind or a northeast wind and you start getting these weird angles? I mean, how how much does that change how the wind is reflecting off of that hillside? It, and, and I hate to even, like, man, it depends on the ridge. And the reason that I say that is, is if you are if you have that north ridge in front of you or whatever, right, it, it's rolling hills. You're always going to have a ridge in front of you. The, the question is, is how big is that ridge? Right? How steep is that grade coming down to the west? whenever the wind switches to come out of the northwest um me personally i don't move right so i i feel like my scent game is is as good on point as you're going to get um i keep everything in a tote i dust everything down every chance i get and uh, and i do it periodically throughout the day and so you know if if the wind slight changes i'm not going anywhere because i was giving that buck his nose anyways so you know and and again i know that that's against you know, the way that a lot of guys hunt, and that's perfectly fine. But but for me, I personally like to give them the wind. Um, and so when a wind shifts, in a lot of guys' theory inside their head, then it's just better, quote unquote, for me. You know what I mean? Because now the wind's not, you know, blowing straight at them. It's, it's angling them some. So I get kind of that crosswind. Um, I don't want to say that I don't pay attention to wind whenever I go to the woods, because obviously I don't. I, I do, right? Um, but I pay attention for, to it for different reasons than most because, like I said, I like to give that deer the wind. So um, if they're, 
<laughs> you all right over there? No, man? yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I just, no, no, I thought of something. I thought of something that I, I want to talk on before. I, I, Andrew's got a question. He's going to go up next, and hopefully he doesn't derail the conversation. Throw Andrew under the bus. I've, I've got a really interesting conversation or question I want to ask in regards to this. But th- anyways, that was an yeah. aha moment you saw. So. No, oh, okay, I got you. Um, <laughs> And so anyways, for me, like I said, if, if the wind slight changes, I'm not going anywhere. Now, on those days that, you know, you have a straight north wind or say that you've got a straight west wind, um, I don't waste my time either. Like, I'm, I'm a very aggressive hunter. Uh, I know that, you know, Richard has told you all that, like the way that I call, the way that I move through the woods, like I'm aggressive. Uh, I'm not that guy that kind of slips through the woods trying not to step on a limb or whatever. Uh, if I've got to break limbs or, you know, whatever, if I'm walking through, like half the time I don't use a headlamp. Um, and the reason that I don't is because it makes noise in the woods, right? Like, you know, if you ever heard a mature buck come through the woods, he's not quiet. You know what I mean? And so, um, one, one, uh, I guess tip that I would say is keep your grunt call around your neck. That's what I do. You know, if I'm going up a tree and I drag my climber, um, I use a long wolf so it doesn't make a lot of tinging, but you do get that drag sometimes. I, you know, on a grunt call and keep moving. Um, and so that the point of that is, is so if I, if I see going back to what you just asked, I apologize. I got derailed there for a minute. Um, but <laughs> so anyways, to, to your point though, if the wind changes direction, so if it's a slight change, I'm not going nowhere. Right. Um, however, if I'm looking at, you know, my weather app or whatever, and it says tomorrow morning that, you know, there's going to be a West wind. And I know that, and I, this spot that I'm talking about that I keep referring to in my head, like it, it is what I hunt, right? So I have a ridge to the north of me and I'm hunting a ridge, you know, that runs east and west. And um, and I hunt that north side of that ridge, right? So anyways, if I know there's a wind coming out of the west, I'm not going in. I'm not not going in because I'm not trying to bust that deer. I'm not not going in because he's not going to cruise the same way. Does that make sense? I'm not actually hunting the wind for me. I'm hunting the wind for him. Because when that wind swaps to come out of the west and it's blowing straight out of the west, well, he's probably going to be on that finger at the very end of this ridge trying to catch the wind off of the does that are bedding on the point of that knoll. You know what I mean? So I'm not going to not hunt my spot because my wind's wrong. I'm going to not hunt that spot because that buck's not going to use this ridge the way he would if it was a north wind. That makes, that makes perfect sense. Um, another question before I pitch it over to Jacob is, you know, it's kind of inevitable when you're looking at a map of where you want to go hunt and you're looking in hill country, a lot of these ridges aren't going to lay out like the examples that we're putting here. So there's not going to be maybe a ton of East and West ridges and everything. What are, do you have any kind of tips or, or useful tools as far as where people can take a map and look at it and accurately predict how the wind is going to, is going to channel off things. Are there any rules of thumbs? Like I'm thinking of a spot I was at today where you've got like this, this ridge and these benches that look really good, but there's a huge ridge to the north of them, kind of overshadowing them. It's like twice the size, so it's kind it's not in the bottom necessarily, but it's only halfway up that that ridge that's overshadowing it. So I'm I'm really curious about the wind is going to do there. So I mean, are there any good rules of thumb that people can use to take this kind of information and apply it to their own area? So so I call those low line ridges. I don't know what everybody else calls them. But that's what I call them: secondary ridge, low line ridge. And this, you, you brought that up and, and you stopped me a little bit. That is the one exception to the policy. And so what I mean by that is, is so if that is where coming in and actually scouting, you just about have to. And the reason I say that is you got to figure out which one of those ridges those deer are using. 
So if they're using that low line ridge, you're probably fine. If the deer are using that high ridge and you have a high wind, that is one of the only times I will hunt up towards the top of a ridge. Um, and I will, I will personally get up towards the top of that low line ridge. And the reason for that is again, think of it like a ramp and a car coming off of it. Now, if it's a, if it's a low wind day, then I'll be, you know, back down there about that quarter of the way up. I don't, I don't, I don't know if that answers your question or not. Yeah, that makes um, man, sense. It's really hard. It is difficult to talk about um, ridges and wind currents without being able to use my hands. You can do that for us. Again, if, if it makes you more comfortable having the conversation, you can use the whole hand thing, and we can just try to explain it to the listener. So it's not, that's not a big deal at all. I, I yeah. talk to my hands, too. It's like, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty ginger, but I've got a lot of Italian in me. Everybody <laughs> talks to their hands. So well, Another thing that's kind of interesting, too, is it, we've always heard um, – Think of the wind moving across the landscape like as though everything was underwater and water's running over the top of it, um, which, you know, I guess could work. But based on what you're saying, it's a lot more complicated than that, obviously. So, like, I'm wondering about how wind, you know, it hits this ridge and then it and then it ricochets over and hits that ridge or or the wind kind of snakes down this valley well, or anything how, like that. How does it deflect off other train features? You know, I think that's that's probably the way to describe it. It's like... But like, how does the wind deflect? Like you've talked this, talked about this earlier with the whole, um, you know, backpack blower and the plywood and everything and how it deflects off that. But also, you know, what is your take on like the deflection? Like what Andrew's talking about, like if you have like, you know, creek systems that come through and you have all these big secondary points in the main ridges, like how does that all play factors on the wind currents and deflection, you know, depending on the wind velocities? It's difficult because every spot is different. You know what I mean? Like, like, like he was just saying. Um, so if you're if you're on the south side of a saddle, right, and um, and the wind's coming from the direction of the saddle, we won't use north this time. It's just coming from the direction of the saddle. Well, what you were talking about with like you know the water flowing, you know, and and flowing down, that would be a time where you might would actually see something like that, right? Because it's the lowest point in between two, you know, high points. So whenever that wind is coming up if you look at a saddle most of the time and you're you're looking at it right it's if you could be over the top of it it's making some face of a u right you know what i'm saying so it's it's like this so you've got your your ridge here your ridge here you've got a line in between them and you usually have two fingers that come down here right so either those deer are going to cruise here or they're going to go around the bottom of them you know whatever but you have some kind of like a u shape so whenever that wind's coming over the top of it if that finger that's coming down is steep enough that the wind's not going to roll over it then yeah you might you might get that you know kind of water effect that that rolls down but i can i can guarantee you um the equipment that that i have used in my life through my my work that's that's rare and i and, and like i said man the way that i hunt is a lot different than a lot of guys do but i can also tell you that you know, I'm, I'm in camp with a lot of guys that, that hunt that way, you know, so. I'm, I'm sure we can't talk about this, but I'll be interested in knowing a little bit more about this equipment. Man. I want to get my hands on this equipment, <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, man. I, look, so I can tell you this. If you ever want to know exactly how wind currents move, go get you a particle counter. That's what it's called. It's not It's not a secret. It counts the particles in the air, right? It, it is what it is. Like if you can buy them on the civilian side. Um uh, anyways, I won't name the name of the company or whatever. I'm not name drop them, but uh, anyways, you can, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can you can buy them, right? And so, anyways, a particle counter. That, so that I will talk about that. That's how I learned how wind current moves. And so, um, when you are 
when you are trying to figure out how something is moving through the air, right? So, so for us, you test the particles, the amount of particles that are in there at one point, you test the amount of particles that are in the air at another point, okay? So the, the amount of fallout that I always talk about, right? Wind is always rolling. It is what it is. And so that fallout on that backside, it, it's, it, it's not a thing. Like it, the wind does not come straight down. Like the wind is not going to come over this ridge and then just die. It's not a, it's, it's not, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. it's not realistic, but it's not really realistic. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, an object in motion stays in motion. Wind is a motion, right? So um, now I'm not saying that if you have a very, very light wind day, not saying that at that point, you know, it, the fallout is obviously closer to the top, right? So if it's a no wind day or, you know, I'm not gonna say no wind because it, whatever, but if it's like a three mile an hour wind day, well then maybe the fallout is right over that point, right? But um, but anyways, yeah. So uh, yeah, a particle count, I promise you, it. you take that blower, you take a bag of dust or, you know, whatever you wanna use and you use that piece of plywood, go buy your particle count. See what the particles look like right on the other side of that piece of plywood versus five foot from. So uh, one of the topics I wanted to touch on a, a little bit more in detail now, since you know listeners, because this is a very in depth conversation. So I want to make sure we try to simplify everything and, and really make sure you know listeners are tracking. But when it comes to the buck movement, one thing you've mentioned is you like to hunt the windward side of the ridge. So again, in the situation you gave earlier, north wind, you want to be on that north side. Now, can you talk a little bit about how what is your experience on bucks cruising on the windward side of the ridge and then well let me ask this how do you see them cruise on the windward side because most guys are like oh they're gonna be on the leeward side they're gonna be on the back side of the ridge so they can smell everything up on top of it. so i mean what's your take on that that so so tit for tat right yep one in the same so um my myself personally like i said i will i will hunt the windward side of the ridge and so i personally believe like a mature buck Yes, they could walk right here on that south side of that ridge and smell that's right there up on top, right? But how often do you see mature bucks that want to be that close to danger? They're not, right? So um, if you have that ridge that's in front of you and I hunt that windward side, and the reason being is because they can smell everything from that bottom and above, right? And they have a bailout point, which is over the top of this ridge. And so a lot of times from my experience or whatever, you know, you get that buck that is, on that 25% of the raid up on that windward side. So he can catch the wind at the bottom that's in front of him and the ridge that's up in front of him on the other side. He's literally, you hear people talk about, I don't know if you've ever been in the stand and you you hear it, especially on public land, right? Um, I mess with my buddies about this all the time. They're like, man, somebody's hunting on that ridge behind me. And I'm like, why? And they're like, man, 400 yards away, I heard a doe blow. No, dumbass, he was blowing at you. You know what I mean? I don't mean it bad because he's, He's walking that ridge over there because I mean, everybody knows, right? Deer, deer travel different on every ridge, right? So you might have one ridge that's full of acorns that's got does all of them. And then just to the west of that, you have another ridge. Now we're going to use the one that goes north and south. There, it's just for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyways, now over on the west side, you have another ridge that is also full of acorns. There's no deer on it at all, right? So I, I kind of chalk that up too is, you know, if you eat one cinnamon roll from one company, another cinnamon roll from another company, and you like this one better, same thing. And deer, deer have trees that I think that they, you know, they like the taste of that tree better, whatever. So anyways, um, when you're sitting in a situation like that and you have this ridge that is just tore up, well, I'm not going to hunt the upward wind side of that ridge. I'm going to hunt the upward wind side of the ridge that's below that one. Ah, Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Yeah. And this makes a lot more sense now. Okay. Like. <laughs> 
Keep going. That's right. So, so the other part of that is the reason I like to hunt that 25% of the way down, right? If I'm on the upward side of the wind uh, ridge is that I like to call and I like to rattle, right? And so bucks like to move with everybody knows, right? So everybody always says like, if you're going to use a call, you better be prepared for that deer to come in downwind, right? Absolutely. That's why I'm set up the way that I'm set up. Because if that buck, if those does are bedding on that bridge that's in front and he's on this ridge that's back behind it, he's bedding here so he can smell it, right? It's 200 yard gap, it's a bottom. If you don't think a deer can smell 200 yards, you're crazy as hell, right? So, or even 400 yards, right? So he's on this ridge, he's bedding up over here. Especially guys, this is a lot of pre-rut stuff, right? So they're, they're, not, they're not bedding with that doe right now, right? They're still kind of keeping that, that separation. And so anyways, I'll set up down that way because if there's a, if there is a doe that is on that feed ridge, we'll call it a feed ridge, which is the first ridge, right? Um, if there is a doe that is starting to come in estrus that's on that ridge, well, there's a chance that buck might be on that uh, downward wind side of the ridge, for lack of a better term, right? But if he is, I can call him over here and kill him. You know what I'm saying? Um, and most of the time when you're on that, you can kind of see you know, the ridge that's out there in front of you, or at least bits and pieces. Um, but most of the time is, you know, that dude's gonna be cruising from here down one of these fingers. And then once they get on the finger they want, they'll kind of skirt, kind of cross over fingers. Um, and, you know, that's a whole nother conversation about contour lines, but I'm gonna tell you- this we're, we're gonna, a, Hey, we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. Just- No, just okay, <laughs> okay, yeah. And so, uh, and so anyways, you know, the way that those deer move down those contour lines, I mean, it is what it is. If you, if you've got the wind that's coming, you know, it's coming at you and it's upwind and there's a buck that's bedding on this ridge back behind you, which is, goes into the conversation we were having before we started this, is trying to set up where, you know, if there's a thicket, I want the thicket, you know, a lot of people want the thicket, you know, the wind coming out of the thicket. I, I disagree with that. I want the wind going into the thicket because I'm trying to call him out of it. And if the wind's blowing out of the thicket, well, hell, he's not going in. You know what I mean? And so anyways, um, same principle as far as hunting down that it, to me. Anyways, so so this this is making more sense even even or a lot better sense now, kind of big picture wise is not, and this kind of goes back to what we had talked about previously before recording is looking at the big picture, not just looking at that one specific spot, but looking at you know ridges, you know two three ridges over in every direction to kind of figure out why would this buck be here based off of what's around it. And one thing that you just mentioned is, you know, say you have that, again, that ridge just north of you, the north, north wind, it's got a lot of heavy feed sign on it. But per, you know, what you found, you know, he's going to be cruising the bottom side of the ridge just below it, uh, at the bottom, you know, quarter roughly, um, you know, kind of cruising east to west uh, if that ridge is to the north of him. And it's got, again, he's like catching all that falling wind, all that wind that's coming off that ridge in front of him. He's able to smell that while he's cruising down. And then if he smells something he likes, he can go across the bottom and go up the other side. Uh, that, that's something that's really interesting because, again, a lot of people, I think, just think about that, that buck cruising on the, you know, the top third or whatever of the ridge that a lot of that sign's on, but you're kind of finding him, you know, a ridge over kind of scent checking that stuff. And I guess this is also plays a factor too, to think about, you know, this is very region specific or uh, top, topographical specific, because if your ridges are fairly close, like what we're talking about, you know, every couple hundred yards, you got one of these ridges, kind of the slope going up, going down. It'd be different if you're in an area where it's, 
I'm trying to think if I've ever hunted a place like this where you have like giant bottoms that are five, 600 yards wide and then you have a ridge that pops out of nowhere and it goes five, 600 yards and then another ridge. It'd probably be a little bit different scenario there compared to like hill country where it's very consistent for the most part of kind of that change in elevation. Um, so that, that, that is something that's very, very interesting. Uh, but again, catching those bucks cruising right there. So let me ask you this. How do you set up when you're talking about hunting that kind of that bottom quarters, the way you, you put it? Um, how, and we're going to get to the probably a lot of this is going to make more sense when we actually talk about like how you hunt blind because not to burst anybody's bubbles but you're a huge proponent of going in blind and, and not actually uh scouting spots ahead of time um Stop. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> well we're, we're gonna get into that in just a second because that, that'll probably make more sense of how you approach this and this and the styling of going to these certain locations based off of just what you're finding in the maps um but when you're set up on that bottom third, are you facing downhill or uphill in that situation, or cro- or, or side hill? Are you facing like with a crosswind? I like to sit at an angle, right? So, um, so usually, usually myself, it doesn't matter what the wind's doing. It just how I like to set up. So I try not to get busted because I like to stand a lot. I always sit caddy corner to the right. Yep. So it's just it it, it just is how I sit, right? Um, to me, like, you know, whenever whenever we talk about uh, wind and, you know, all that kind of stuff, like it is what it is, um, I prefer for a deer to come in behind me, you know, so I can keep the tree in between them and myself. But it doesn't always happen. I don't – I do not face a certain direction for any point of, you know, for any reason, honestly. Like, if, um, if, I'm, if I'm in a tree and, you know, it's uh, on the side of those ridges, a lot of them grow crooked, right? So I'll sit just whichever way is more comfortable. Um, I don't really – the the way that I hunt and the way that I believe is that a deer is going to be traveling that quarter of the way up or that quarter of the way down from the top, depending on the wind speed. So, um, you know, I guess I guess you could say if if the wind was you know lower and I thought it was going to be falling out from the ridge in front of me down in the bottom there, then you know maybe I would be facing the bottom. I don't know. I don't I don't ever really pay attention to that to be honest with you on on the the direction I'm sitting. I'm, and I hate to say this and 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 sound you know cocky or whatever, but I don't know, man. I, I feel like I can look at a spot and tell you the way the deer is going to move. And so when I climb up in the tree, Joe trails. It's what I go off of. So if I climb up in a tree and I I find a uh, a finger is what I call them. Right? I find a finger coming off of this ridge that's you know I don't want to use the north and south again. I'm bothering him <laughs> with that. No, you're good. <laughs> but, uh, man, it's just it's just easy, man. A lot of people don't know their cardinal directions. They know north and south, right? So um, anyway, um, if I'm sitting, so usually I don't sit directly in a saddle either. So um, I know we haven't kind of talked about that yet. Um, with what you were talking about with the ridge in front of you kind of dying, and now you've got that wind that kind of shifts coming over, well, then I'm going to set the opposite side of it. You know what I mean? Um, and it, at that point it's, it, you know, it just depends on the way the wind's moving and that's, you know, that feeds into me going in blind. And what I mean by that is, you know, I'll find a spot, I'll find a, a map or, you know, I'll pull up my topo map. I use Onyx. It is what it is. And the only reason that I use Onyx, you know, is because they have the, the layover, right? So I can see the, the terrain features with the trees, right? And it's one of the only ones, or maybe it's the only one that I know of. I don't know. I found it years ago. Somebody said Onyx, and so now I use it. And it keeps me from getting in trouble across the purple paint lines. So, yeah. anyways, um, <laughs> deer are always on the other side of them, man. I don't know what's up with that. But, no. Um, so, anyhow, uh, you know, when I'm walking into a spot, I can feel the wind. And I, I can feel what the wind's doing. So, I'm not I'm not necessarily setting up. You know, with, I pick an area blind. And then whenever I go on with my headlamp, 
I'm feeling the wind and then making my decision on where I'm gonna sit on that ridge based off of that. Right. So if I if I start if I start down this ridge, so usually usually this is what happened for me or, or, or an example, right? So I find it I find I always start with the saddle, right? And I prefer to find a saddle that the ridge in front of me is extremely thick, right? So and then the ridge that I'm on dies just the other end of that saddle after a peak. And the reason for that is I think that's where that buck's bed. In my head, that's where buck beds. Every time I jump a buck, that's where he's at. Right? So he's got a rope line going over that damn peak from this saddle. And whenever I get over the other side of it, see what's there, well, it's him. He, he runs off. And now I got to leave for a week before I come back. You know what I mean? And so anyhow, that's what I set up for. I set up in my head thinking that that buck is bedding over there and that he's going to get up with his nose in the wind and come by me. You know, so when I start down that finger, if I get a quarter of the way down and I'm like, damn, look at this beat up trail. You know what I mean? Then I'm going to, I'm going to set up for that trail. If I start down it and there's no sign there and then I get down to the quarter of the way and there's no trail there. Um, like I said before, I don't hunt buck sign. So, you know, but I don't see any trail there. Well, I'm probably going to make me a little loop in that bottom and come up the finger on the other side of the saddle. Cause that means they're probably using that one. Come, come that time of the year, you know, most winds, not all, but mostly you're going to have a northern wind of some sort, whether it be northeast or northwest. Well, the deer are going to tell you where they like to travel. You know, and that's that's my that's the reason I don't hunt a deer based off of the wind. Like I'm not going in going, oh, no, I can't hunt that spot because my wind's wrong because the deer are going to tell you how they're going to travel. So when you walk into that spot, it's where the sign's going to be. It, if you usually have a north wind, if you're a guy, so if you're a guy that likes to play the wind and you want to keep the wind in your favor, you can still hunt the exact same way that I do and care about the way that your wind's going so that you're not stinking up an area. Start at the top of the ridge, make sure you keep the wind in your face, start working down one of those fingers off of the saddle that you feel like the deer are using the most, right? Um, use a Joe trail. So the easiest way in between two points. So if you've got a saddle, and one side's got a really steep finger, and then the other side of the saddle's got a really gradual finger, uh, finger that goes down, and then a gradual one that goes back up to the ridge on the front of you that looks thicker on a map, right? You can't actually tell till you get there, but it looks thicker on a map, right? Well, then go to that saddle that's the, the you know, the easier grade and start down and see where your deer sign's at, and then if you're a guy that, you know, you, uh, you think that you can't, I'm not gonna say beat, but you don't think that you can, uh, you know, fool a deer's nose long enough to get an arrow behind his shoulder. I don't know about his man. If you're that guy, and that's fine. Like if you hunt like that, that's perfectly fine. Man, everybody's got their own thing. So whenever you start down that ridge, just figure out what the wind's doing at that point. You know, I I, I know I said camel dust before, but you know, one thing is even if you don't believe in a scent control, you can check it, and it tells you the way the wind's moving. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you can start down and you know shake that dude, and you're like, oh. Shit. You know, you turn around with your headlamp, which is great for seeing any kind of powder, right? At dark. That's the reason I like to go in when it's dark. So you, whatever you want to use, baby powder, camo dust, or uh, milkweed, you know, whatever. You shake that dude when you start down that ridge and you turn around and you look, you can see what it's doing. And that, that ties in to the reason why I always say that, you know, I like to go in blind. It's because I don't overthink a spot. I don't sit here and look at a pin for 47 days going, God, last year, <laughs> last year I had a wind coming out of the east. So I, and when I killed that deer, so I've got a wind coming out of the northeast. I can't hunt that spot. Can't do it because I killed that big buck last year with coming out. They said, hell with that. Go in, find the sign, and then hang off the sign. 
If you like to keep the wind in your face, that's fine. All you got to do is move around. You know what I mean? You know, nothing's saying this is your only tree to hunt in. And that's, that's uh, you know, we, before this, I was talking about my YouTube uh, channel or whatever, and, and go to where the deer's at. That's the, that's the trick. You know, everybody wants to find the trick. What is the trick to killing big bucks? Or what's the trick of actually being consistent with killing deer? Because I don't, I don't kill big bucks. I kill 130, 140-inch deer consistently, though. Like, don't let a four-year-old walk by me because he's living with a hole. You know what I'm saying? And so <laughs> my thing is, though, is, you know, that's, that's the reason I like to go in blind is because I don't overthink spots. I don't have enough time to overthink them. Whenever I get there, it is real time. It's what's happening. The sign that I'm seeing is it's either fresh or it's not there. If it's not there, I'm going to keep walking. You know, the wind is going to be doing what the wind's going to be doing. So I'm going to set up off of that sign and, and hunt it. So a lot of guys in the past, they'll be like, man, you just got lucky, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, say that I've got a wind coming out of the west and the buck's coming from my east because that's just the way he travels. But it's luck, you know, in some people's eyes, which is perfectly fine. Um, but that wind's coming out of the west and, and I get an area and I'm like, kill it. And they're like, oh, man, you just got lucky. Well, maybe, or maybe it's because I didn't hunt that same damn tree for six days, so he learned me. So the first time he smelt me, he had no damn clue what I was until he was dead. You know, and, and that's that's how all that, to me, and I don't, I don't know if it ties everything together for everybody else, but it does me, and it makes sense in my head. You know, go in new. If you like to keep the wind in the face, keep your wind in your face, but, you know, don't get locked up on feed trees, in, in my opinion, again, and, you know, like, I'm not going to say it goes against one of my best friends, but, you know, it is what it is. Everybody hunts different. You know, you could be successful doing different things. But um, don't get locked down on one thing because if you get locked down on feed trees, then if you are a guy that don't don't take precautional scent and stuff like that, well, then that could probably affect you. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people like to shoot set up where they can shoot that feed tree. Well, I don't know if you've ever hunted over a corn pile, but if you hunt over a corn pile or if you don't hunt over a corn pile and you hunt public land, find a buddy that you can set corn pile in on its property, put a camera on that corn pile, and then put a camera north, south, east, and west within 10 yards facing outwards and see what the hell that mature buck does before he comes to that corn pile. He circles it every time. Maybe a semicircle, right? But he is most certainly not coming straight into it. A feed tree is nonetheless, right? So if you're going to hunt a feed tree and you care about your wind, set 100 yards off of it. So when that buck swings, you know, 60 yards downwind of it, he's right in your wheelhouse. You know, again, that's not the way I hunt, but people are successful that way, and that's that's fine. To me, I would, you know, if I'm going to hunt something like that, I won't use a feed pile, I'll use a scrape, right? I'm going to set about 30 yards off of it, maybe maybe 50, depending on where the trail is downwind of it, um, because I like to give them the wind. I, I think that, um, you know, it, it, it just doesn't matter to me. So I'm going to put myself in the best opportunity for a shot. I don't care what. The no, that, that, that all makes perfect sense. Uh, it's, that's pretty fascinating stuff too. You mentioned your YouTube channel and, uh, you, you just killed a buck who is going to be on your YouTube channel. People get to see it and everything. We'll link it in the show notes, but I want to talk about this buck a little bit as maybe kind of like mm -hmm. a launching point for some of the other topics we're going to talk about. Which one is he? That one over there. <laughs> oh, a little split G2. Is that the one? No, no, no. Short one, short one. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Three, yeah. Yeah, both of them are great bucks, man. So what's the what's the story on that buck? You killed him what last week? I did. I killed him on uh, I killed him on Thursday morning, and and so this really ties into what Jacob was just talking about about hunting blind. Um, so this this is kind of a drug on story, right? But I've got a buddy off of one of the hunting pages that uh, lives in South Missouri, 
So if I was going to choose to go to Missouri to hunt, it most certainly wouldn't be South Missouri, right? Because they, they don't grow the biggest bucks uh, and it gets a whole bunch of pressure. However, I had a place to sleep and it was damn cold, so I hunted South Missouri. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so anyways, I went down there early season. Um, I don't know, like the first week or something like that. I always get really tuned up early season, and then I go hunt, and then I find out that the way that I hunt doesn't work early season because I like to hunt cruising corridors. And uh, so it always gets me. And plus, um, if you've ever hunted South Missouri, you understand that like everywhere there's a block of timber, there's three fields around it that are private. And so the deer are just really focused on those fields early season. And so they'll bed on the edge of that private land. And I don't even like to get close to it because I don't have to ask permission to go get my buck. And somebody tell me no, and then my feelings are hurt or, you know, else. But anyways, so um, what happened with this deer? So there is a, uh, there's a tornado blow. Um, the big tornado that took out uh, Joplin years ago. Right. So uh, I was hunting a section of that tornado blow in the uh, Mark Twain National Forest. And, um, and so what happens is, is, Whenever I was up there early season, you could see rubs and stuff from the, the side of the road, right? But it's super thick and obviously ticks are bad and you can just imagine how thick that stuff is. Um, and you can you can tell in the video, standing on the ground, you can't see 10 foot in front of you. You get up 16, you know, 30 foot up a tree and now you can see down in it. So anyways, what ended up happening with that stuff, so pull it up on the map. Kind of, I kind of wish I wasn't on my phone, I'd just show you because it's easier to explain. So um, anyways, I like to, you know, I like to walk. So I don't want to be right next to the road. And the only reason is because I don't feel like everybody hunts like me. The only people I want to be around are the guys that are taking it as serious as I am. It's not because I don't think there's bucks close to the road. So you hear that, you know, people are like, big bucks, stay way back there. The hell if they do, no. In the hills, all roads are on ridges, right? But all of them. So there's saddles everywhere. So you can drive around and see bucks crossing at night. But it doesn't mean during the daylight they're going to be a mile away. No, it just means the morons won't be a mile away. You know what I'm saying? So anyhow. But these bucks that are up here on the road, they're edumacated. I ain't messing with those guys. I'm going back to the dumb one in the back. So, anyways, what uh, <laughs> what happened in Missouri? So, um, I found this I found this area right, and then uh, I was like, man. So I I pulled up on a topo map, and this kind of leads into what you were talking about a while ago. It's not extreme terrain, so you would think Missouri is you know pretty extreme, and it is in some areas, but where this is 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 not. Um, however, there's an old logging road that goes in, which is on the high spot of this ridge. And so, um, whenever I went out and, uh, and, and was walking this road, um, the first morning, so a week before going, I found out I was going to be able to go. I was able to take some leave. Um, I was teaching a class here in Arkansas and, and realized that it was going to end on Wednesday. And then I looked at the weather and there was that big cold front just come across the nation last week. Right. So I was like, oh my God, I got to be on the front end of that because, you know, like everybody else, I'm on social media, and I see all these guys in Missouri like, oh, this buck I killed today. And I'm like, damn, I want to be that guy. And uh, so anyways, I uh, found out I was going to get some leave. And so I'm, uh, you know, on break in all these classes, and I'm on a topo map looking, looking, looking. And so in this flat, so this pulls in using the terrain features and then, you know, the wooded features that are on, right? So on this map, you could tell where the tornado had touched down because it's just like a, a fuzzy looking area everywhere. Well, about um, nine tenths of a mile down this old logging road, you could tell that the, the road died probably a quarter mile off the road. But, you know, you could kind of still see something on the map. And uh, so anyways, about nine tenths off the road, there was what looked like a strip of trees that came through it. And so this is where reading a map and reconning can can kind of hurt you, right? Especially if you've never been there before. So with me, I'd never never even been to the spot, you know, other than driving the road, you know, a mile from it. So 
anyway, so what I did was, is I started looking at terrain features and uh, that fat line on a, uh, the fat contour line, right, on topo map. If you've never hunted a fat line on a contour map, you are messing up. So if you look at a contour map or you look at a topo map, there's a fat line on that map. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sit on it. You'll thank me later. And uh, so anyways, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I walk in as I'm walking in. I get down to the end of that. I dropped a pin just south um, of this, this ridge. It was actually kind of, it was actually just west of the ridge, but either way. Um, and so anyways, I dropped a pin where it looked like a roll of trees came in and then kind of died right at that fat line. Right? And so I was like, mm, boy, I need to go there. So as I'm walking in, man, I'm, I'm laughing because there's just scrapes all down this road. And I was like, your ass is just messed up, right? So the first morning I messed up, I'm not gonna lie, man, I, I'll be honest, so I was lazy. I forgot my saw and um, so I'm walking in, you know, and I get to that line of trees and I'm talking about what well, line of trees ended up being pines about, you know, six inches across that were like 20 foot tall and you can't climb them, right? And I'm like, dang. And I look over the side, cause I've never been in this tornado blow and I look over the side of the, the trail there and this stuff's like 10 foot tall and I'm like, well, this isn't gonna work. And so I keep walking again, you know, it's an hour before daylight and uh, I found a little opening about, I don't know, 120 yards from the original pin that I had dropped that was actually off to my left. So I sit in that tree and at nine o'clock in the morning, I had nine does do exactly what I was thinking by looking at a map they were doing. So underneath those pines, it was not as thick as it was outside of them, right? Because the sunlight can't get in there as much and there's not as much foliage underneath it. So there's still a bunch of brush, but it's not as thick. So anyways, after seeing those deer, I was like, I've got to change. So this goes back to, in my opinion, the first time being in a spot makes a huge difference, right? So if a, if a guy had been in there with a rifle or with his bow for 10 days, then this deer probably wouldn't have done what he did the day that I was in there. And so the small wind changes that kind of comes into this. So anyways, I go in the next morning and uh, I got in there like an hour and a half before daylight. It took me an hour to get 16 foot up in the street. It had a knot of limbs like every six inches and I'm not exaggerating. Um, I busted every knuckle I had, I headbutted a tree, had a black eye, it was miserable. But um, <laughs> you think I'm joking, man, I'm serious as a heart attack. So, uh, so so anyways, I uh, I go in and I have a pretty solid crosswind, right? And so again, what I like to do is I like to give the scrapes the wind, right? So I'm down below the scrapes um, at the time that I got there. And so the, the upwind side of the scrapes, which is where I would traditionally hunt whenever it's steeper grade, um, it was just too thick. Just, there, there is no other reason other than it's just too thick. That's the reason I made the decision to go left instead of right. I was like, well, this way looks better. You know, it's not as thick. And so anyways, if I'd have been to the right, though, I'd have killed the deer the same exact way because it's exactly where he came from, right? So um, if you were looking at that topo map, there's a ridge that comes over the top. And whenever you got to that spot, it was almost like fingers just wide off of it, right? And they were slight. So if you were walking, you wouldn't even notice them. You know what I'm saying? But on a topo map, you could see that the fingers just kind of wide at that point, And there was almost like a knoll in that saddle, if that makes any sense. So there's a knoll up higher, but... There's like a flat spot right there in that saddle. So anyways, I broke left and I went down um, and I ended up finding a little spruce tree that was, I don't know, 10 inches across. Whenever I got 16 foot, every time I like scratched my nose, it would swayed back and forth. And um, the wind shifted. So I had a pretty solid crosswind um, and uh, the wind ended up shifting and <laughs> coming out of those pines. Right? And so the buck came just below the pines 
which was actually just below me as well. And so my wind was hitting him right in the face. He had no idea I was there. And I, uh, I ended up shooting him at 27 yards. Um, but again, that's literally taken every factor into, you know, aspect. If I had, in my opinion, if I was living in Missouri and I had walked out there, you know, two days prior when it was 70 degrees and I was sweating and hot and nasty um, and walked all through all that thicket trying to find a tree, well, that probably wouldn't have worked. But that morning I got in there at 545, I take my saw out, I start up this tree and every time I drop a limb, I toot my grunt call three or four times. Well, that buck I'm sure was bait, uh, bedding on the point that was the other side of that Y, which is where I would have rather been, which is closer to it, right? It's a shorter hunt, it's cold outside, it's like 26 degrees. I'm not trying to sit there all day. And, uh, and so, <laughs> so anyways, I, I couldn't do that though, so I was on the other side. And, and anyways, the buck did exactly what deer do. He kept the wind in his face, and or mature deer do. He kept the wind in his face, and he was skirting the way that he kind of came down and around um you just drew a line in front of you right so the the thicket that those does were moving through were you know coming from, God, i'm so sorry no you're good you're no, you're good. Man. Uh, no not you it's this guy it's this guy over here. No, I'm <laughs> um so we're just gonna use north and south again man i'm sorry so say that the uh the pines were running north and south right and then his scrapes were actually kind of angled running you know basically the high spot would be like the northeast to southwest and he came from like the south coming in with the wind hitting him in the face. So he was catching both winds. You know, the way that that, that fat line I was talking about on that contour map, a lot of times if you sit in that spot, you're going to think your wind is shifting directions, right? It, that's one of those spots I always talk about. Guys are like, my wind's just swirling. No, it's not. It's coming from all different directions because of the, the way the land lays around it. So anyways, he came up straight on that line. You actually hear me say it in the video um, when I call a buddy of mine because it's, it's a, you know, it's always a theory until it happens 13 times. <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> I'm sorry. But, uh, but anyways, he came in, he, uh, he came in just like that. He never had a clue. I was there. I didn't grunt at him and do anything. You know, um, the only grunt I had done was before daylight and that's to cover my noise. You know what I mean? And, um, and then, so anyways, I just used, you know, what he's doing naturally, which is, you know, going to check for does. He's trying to check an area. So from that spot, he could literally check the thicket where the does were moving through the day before, and he was catching the wind off of his scrapes that run along the backside of it. And so, you know, he'd come in with the wind in his face, and he just didn't know I was in between him and, and that. So, but, uh, we've, we've got to talk about these contour lines. Uh, uh, tell me about the fat line. My mind is going a thousand miles an hour. I need to know more about the fat line. That's, that's very intriguing. Fat line, man. Y'all getting all my secrets out? That's going to be my nickname on the podcast now, the fat line. <laughs> the fat line. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's funny. So, hey, if you, if you hunt in Arkansas, stop listening right now. No. <laughs> so, uh, so, anyway, guys, the, the fat line. And I, I promise to you there has been like uh, – Four of my buddies um, this last season alone, uh, one of them killed the second buck he's ever, the second best buck he's ever killed doing this. And so, anyways, the fat line. So if you look at a map, right, and you're you're looking at a topo map, somewhere on that topo map, there's going to be a fat line. Well, if you don't know what that fat line is, the fat line is the flattest spot on that ridge. So it doesn't mean it's going to be, it doesn't mean it's going to be a flat spot, and you might not even be able to tell the difference. But that is why there's a wide line. You know what I mean? It's, it's, a, it's a wider spot. So whenever you go out and if you 
All right, here, I got you. Do y'all hunt saddles? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and Andrew's had this little honey hole saddle he's been hunting the last few years, killed the crap out of some bucks. Yeah, there. killed three bucks out of the same saddle over two years. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. All right. So, all right. So, hey, are they usually traveling um, up the ridge or are they going crossways? Uh, crossways. Yep. Whenever you get done with this podcast, look at your map and see whether you're crossing. You know, you know what? Just actually, not- well, yeah. so, well, actually, so. Two of them were going like kind of up into the saddle, and then one of them mm-hmm. was traveling across the saddle. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so um, the drainage ditches, right? So whenever you're hunting the the rolling hills, right? So if you if you look at a topo map, and it, I mean maybe it's the maybe it's the lines, maybe it's just the lay of the land is what it is, right? But I always just say the fat lines. So if you again using a saddle, so you have that U formation, right? So about, you know, some ridges, it's a quarter of the way down those fingers. Some ridges, it's three quarters of the way down those fingers. But that fat line will come over the top of them, and then they will hook back, you know, that fat line. And that fat line is going to come up above that drainage. So it's going to get in close when it gets up there on that saddle, and it's going to go back down. You watch the next buck that you see, the next mature buck, and see what he's walking. If he's, if he's walking that way. Now, sometimes, like you said, you'll get them crossing the saddle. You know, depending on the, I guess, you know, depending on what the wind's doing or depending on what he's trying to scent check. Um, and, you know, I guess that's a whole nother piece of it is, you know, a lot of the reason that the deer are moving through the way that they are has nothing to do with, oh, well, he doesn't like this spot or that spot. It's because what he's actually wanting to scent check is over there kind of thing. You know what I mean? Um, so anyways, yeah, the fat lines. So um, I don't, again, I don't have any proof except for what's behind me, but um those those fat lines, man. It's the flattest spot on the side of that ridge that that runs around. And for some reason, those mature bucks they like to cruise. It just is what it is. So you almost could use like I guess something that you're keying in on. And we can talk a little bit more about this. Talk about like hunting blind. But if you find that fat line where it gets close to that saddle, and then maybe you have some kind of you know habitat edge or a finger coming off, like all those compounding features coming together in one spot is like a, could be a real honey hole for you for that kind of corridor buck movement kind of coming down that fat line along that ridge. Uh, are you asking? Well, kind of. I mean, I'm kind of making a statement slash asking a question, but like, but with that fat line playing a factor you know depending on where it comes down the ridge and also you know i guess it also depends on what part of the ridge you're looking at because if you're looking at the bottom you know the bottom you know uh, quarter of the ridge or the top core of the ridge you know i guess that would play a factor too um but you know what else about that kind of fat line is something that is worth keying in on or paying attention to especially you know how it comes around these different fingers um in correlation to you know potentially where those saddles are located at I'm not gonna lie to you, and this this sounds bad. It's probably not the answer you want to hear. I pick a spot, and then I look at the fat line after I pick a spot. Oh, okay. And 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 right, wrong, or indifferent. Like I don't, I don't, I hunt, I hunt based off of Joe trails. Um, Joe trails. Apologize. I hunt based off of Joe trails. So that easiest point in between A and B that I feel like that deer is catching a wind from the ridge that's in front of him, or the bottom that's in front of him, or the thicket, or or whatever whatever terrain feature it is that I'm trying to hunt off of, right? Um, I, I try to find a spot that I think is easy for him to walk, that he has a good bellout point and a, a good advantage with the wind, you know. And, again, myself, I don't play myself into his wind game. I just play his wind game. Make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But one one other qu- – I've got another question just when it comes to, like, uh, kind of some things we talked about earlier, but with the wind velocity and stuff. What points mm-hmm. will you ever hunt the uh, backside of a ridge? 
So like the, the downwind side of a ridge, like, is there any situation where you're going to hunt that leeward side of the ridge? Yeah, absolutely. So if I walk in and, you know, I was talking about going in blind, right? And I go, I get to my saddle. I'm always, always, always going to go to the upwind side. Like just 110%. It's just, I don't know. It's who I am as a person, maybe. I don't know. Um, so I will always fall off that upwind side. If I don't see sign on that upwind side, but I know that there's sign up on top of that ridge, then I'm going to fall off the backside. You know what I mean? Um, and it's, if you're a wind playing guy, you have a whole lot better chance of getting your wind, your wind right if you're on that uphill side or that upwind side. You know what I mean? If, if, if that's what you, a lot of guys like to play the wind. That's the reason I'm trying to kind of bring that into this. Um, is because, you know, they, they like to play the wind. So if you're trying to play the wind, being on that upwind side is, is very beneficial for you because on that other side, you know, on that downwind side, right on the, the back side of the ridge, well, now you have to deal with the fallout. You got to deal with the way the wind currents are rolling. So if it's a high wind day and you've got leaves still up in the trees, like, you know, a lot of guys don't think about that, man. If you hunt a spot early season, I'm sorry, bro. You got a, you got a ridge that's run east and west. <laughs> uh, and you've got a north wind early season. But there's a lot of foliage on the trees, right? And so you go in there. Well, when that when that wind breaks through the trees, it's up on top. It's gonna hug down, and you're gonna get that rolling effect because there's shit up in the trees. You know what I mean? The leaves are blocking some of that wind, causing it to kind of roll around. Um, and I see this a lot. And I think that this is a big, you know, that's another big portion where guys will go and they'll set a bunch of trail cams out, you know, um, early season, and then you know, come a rut, they're like, oh, my bucks have left, blah blah. Maybe, but maybe not. Maybe it's the fact that now you're hunting that spot that you had a really good wind for before because it was rolling back through and you didn't even realize it. Well, now it's not rolling through and that deer's a quarter of the way up the ridge, you know, and now the wind's hitting him right in the mouth whenever he tries to come around the corner. And so now you're just not seeing the deer. You know what I mean? Um, so I guess that's another thing, you know, guys should kind of take an effect is, is what what's around you. What's the trees look like? Is it super thick? Is it not super thick, you know? Um, so wind speed, yeah, that's a thing, but if it's, if it's eight miles an hour and it's a slicked off ridge and there's no trees on top of it, well, the wind's going to act different than if it was a thicket on top of a ridge with an eight mile an hour wind. Absolutely. And that was something that was, you, you brought the whole uh, topic of like leaf on versus leaf off and how that can play a factor with everything. Um, you know, it, do you see at any point in the season where like that buck will change kind of his cruising, you know, well, we're talking the rut here. I know, you know, we're talking a lot of the rut, which is good because we've actually had a lot of listeners reach out to us like, man, we want to hear some more, you know, rut specific topics right now for some of our hey, states. The, the, what you're leading into rut and leaves is perfect in Arkansas because the rut falls on the leaves falling. And I don't care that, that, you know, this is, this is, this is where uh, I go against everybody else. I don't believe in a one week rut. I think it lasts, you know, a month, month and a half long is what it is. Depends on where you're at. Um, so anyways, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Well, so what do you see the difference between that buck movement when the leaves are still on the trees versus when those leaves are falling off or, or on the ground and there's no leaf cover? I mean, do you see them shit that them shift at all, um, you know, on those ridges, depending on the wind velocity I mean, or is it pretty consistent, you know, no matter the situation, no matter the time of the year, if the wind velocities are, are similar as in like, if the wind velocities are similar, I think it's similar. Yeah. I, I don't think that the, so if the wind velocities are similar on the ground, you know what I mean, not up high, because if 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 it's a high, if it's a low wind day and you've got a bunch of foliage on the on the trees, then the wind velocity on the ground is gonna be different than if there was no foliage on the trees, right? But the deer, in my opinion, are gonna be cruising basically the same way. The only difference is we can see them better. 
You know what I mean? Um, but the way they're going to bust your ass is going to change. This podcast is supported by Mark's Outdoors. If you're from around Birmingham, you know of a, a staple in the hunting community here, and that would be Mark's Outdoors. They've been in business in the same location for over 40 years, family owned and operated, and they have a reputation for being one of the best bow shops in the southeast. As we inch closer and closer to deer season, if you haven't already, it's time to dust off that bow and make sure that she's ready to roll for this hunting season. Go stop by Mark's Outdoors and check out their archery counter with Mark and Robbie, two guys I've known for years, excellent bow techs. They've worked on my bow since I started bow hunting. They got all the knowledge and accessories that you need to get ready to rock for this bow season. While you're in there, also make sure you check out their gun counter. They got a ton of nice rifles for everything from AR platforms to nice deer rifles and a bunch of nice shotguns as well. They also have one of the best knife selections in Alabama. I mean, really nice stuff. All kinds of custom knives in there and their ammo selection is just unbeatable as well. We're thrilled to have Mark's Outdoors on board and we thank them for supporting the podcast. Now we're going to ask you guys to go support them. Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spur Master and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spur Master call and Success Call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com. Use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, let's talk about that. How, how yeah. did that work out? So, so, uh, so, all right. So, if you have a, a high wind day, right, and there's no leaves on the trees, right? So, if I have a high wind day and there's no leaves on the trees, well, then I'm probably going to be down there at that 25% of the way up kind of thing. Right, because there's no leaves on the trees, and that fallout's not going to happen until it gets there. So if that buck's going to cruise, there's no reason for him to cruise up higher on that ridge than that because he can't smell everything that's on the other side. He's going to smell everything that's on the other side down low because the wind is coming way out before it falls out. Make sense? Right. So um, I sorry, I said right. I answered for you. <laughs> Hell yeah. <it> makes sense. <laughs> um, uh, However, if there's a bunch of foliage on the trees, right, and you got a high wind day, but you know it's not 30 mile an hour wind, but you got you know that 18, 20 mile an hour wind, which is what I always call the buck wind. Um, anyways, and there's no foliage on the tree, or there is foliage on the trees. Well, maybe that stuff's falling out now a quarter of the way up, and that that again plays into that. You're not gonna know until you get your ass in there. You know what I mean? So you can you can make a best guess as you can, and I guess that would where um, looking at the thickets and all that kind of comes into play and thinking in your head like okay a buck should be bedding here and the doe should be moving over there you know just based off your experience in the woods um thickets hold deer it is what it is it doesn't matter where the hell you go across the nation there's a thicket that's gonna hold deer so um anyways you use that to your advantage and then whenever you go in that's that's whenever you find out what that wind's doing and where that fallout is so if you have a um again if you if it's a lot of foliage on the trees or whatever and 
um, you've got that same win that you have later on in the year, but earlier in the season, you hunted that 25 the way up, or, or say you were hunting that down there at the bottom because you were using this theory, right? You're like, fallout's way down here. And, um, and you're sitting there and this deer crosses you at 80 yards up above you, right? And you're like, damn it, you know? So you come back down in there during the, you know, two weeks later, now a leaves are in the tree, off the trees because that's about how fast it happens in Arkansas overnight, right? One good north wind, they're gone. And um, so you come back down in there and you're like, I know where to set up on this deer now. Absolutely, because we've got another 18 mile an hour wind coming the same direction it was before he crossed up here. Well, now you're up there and he just crossed down here. You know what I'm saying? Because the leaves affect the fallout of the wind. I mean, again, in, in my head, I, I, I told Richard this a couple weeks ago, like it, once I thought about it or once I kind of started figuring it out, I was like, damn, how the hell did I miss this? You know what I mean? But, but it is, it's, it, it's that, to me, it's almost one of those like gotcha moments. You know what I mean? Because how the hell did I not think about that oak tree that's got leaves, you know, spread out 40 foot across and is a, you know, a big block, how did I not think about the fact that that's gonna affect the way the wind is moving down the side of this ridge? Um, but again, going back, you're, you're not gonna know that till you go in there because during our rut here, um, everything's changing constantly. So the leaves are falling, there's more people in the woods um, and the wind's shifting in Arkansas too. Like, let's just be, you know, it is what it is. We get, you know, last week we had a straight north wind and the last three days we had a straight south wind. You know what I mean? So you have to you have to play it by ear kind of what you're going off of. But you say, you know, I'll just take my 20 acres that's here behind my house. I got lucky and I got a couple ridges back here. So anyways, um, back here behind the house, you know, if I would have hunted this deer that I've been trying my damnedest to stay the hell away from because I don't want to kill it. I want to kill it, but I don't want to kill it. You know what I mean? Anyways, uh, <laughs> so anyways, um, I want to kill him. I don't want to burn a tag on him. There we go. Um, so I'm not going to kill him for any, you know, I'm not gonna but anyways, um, so so back here, if I if the ridge that's on the south side of my property, if I tried to haunt that ridge with the north wind that we had two weeks ago, um, up high would have been better, right? Up higher on the ridge. Um, however, if I went in there today, you know, it's been a south wind the last couple of weeks, right? So and now or last week, and now it's coming back to that northern wind. Well, there's not a damn leaf on the tree at all now. Um, if I went up there and checked my game camera right now, I guarantee you I don't have any pictures of that deer from the last week the deer did not leave the deer changed where he was walking because of the scent you know what i mean so if the if and i think a lot of people get caught up on that and they they think oh this deer's done left the area or whatever no he's just moving 100 yards over now because the foliage is off you know what i mean yeah no, that makes perfect sense that's something that we've noticed here uh it's kind of cool because we don't you don't hear that very often the the leaf drop having like that that big of an effect I mean, it's, maybe it's kind of an unspoken thing, but I just don't hear people talk about it a lot. But we've noticed that here, when the leaves come off the trees, it that's the big change. It's not necessarily like the acorn drop or anything like that. When those leaves come off, the deer completely alter what they're doing. So, sorry, cut you off there. No, no, uh, you're, I was kind of going to bring that up as well. But um, also, can you talk about, like, how does that leaf, the, the leaf drop, again, leaves coming off, you know, the foliage and everything, affect the uh, the dropout of uh that wind you know is that something that again is still a factor like once those leaves come off like the dropout maybe it's a little bit more uh substantial compared to you know when the leaves are on the trees that's more of like a buffer no i think it's i think it's just as substantial either way right the only difference is is whenever the foliage is on the trees you have a uh, you have a block so it's just gonna fall out faster you know what i mean um now it might create more of a tunnel 
You know what I mean? So like if you were, um, you know, if you if you use that plywood theory again, and then you went, you know, a foot away and had somebody hold up a smaller piece of plywood, and whenever it ramped off, it hit that other piece of plywood. Well, some's going to go over the top, and some's going to fall out there and start, you know, rotating back around, creating that that wind tunnel is what I call it. Um, I I think it's easier if, if this is what you're asking. I think it's easier to hunt whenever there's no foliage on the trees. I hate damn leaves. They <laughs> give me every time because it's 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 harder the way that I hunt. It is more difficult for me whenever there's foliage on the trees, 110%. Because the way that I hunt and trying to find those wind tunnels and trying to find those fallout points, obviously, when there's nothing breaking in between me and that, it makes it a hell of a lot easier because I don't have to worry about this is a pine ridge so the wind can move through this better than it could if there was an oak ridge that's got leaves that are six inches in diameter that's knocking everything down as it comes across. Um, that's it, in my opinion too. That's the reason that early season you don't. I'm not gonna say you don't hear of it, but I don't hear very often of dudes talking about getting busted from 500 yards away. But you let them damn leaves come off, and then you know you hear that doe blow half a mile away, and you're like, "Is that me or somebody else?" Yeah, you know, it's probably you because there's nothing standing in between you and her. You're on the last ridge to a flat, and she's you know 600 yards from you, and you just walk through a diesel puddle at a gas station 30 minutes ago, and she smells you. You know what I mean? Where we're in that same scenario, if you had the same exact setup, you just walk to the diesel pump. Well, that deer that's 800 yards from you, there's probably so much in between you and her that is blocking and catching because your wind is moisture, right? So it, there's so much blocking and catching your your not your wind, your scent. Damn it, sorry. Um, it's it's catching in between you and that deer. Then you don't really have to worry about that deer that's six and seven hundred yards away, or five hundred yards, four hundred yards, whatever whatever distance you want to use. Uh, but whenever those leaves are off, that definitely comes into effect at that point. Yeah, for me, and trying to give the buck wind, it works to my advantage because I, I want I want him to come. Uh, one thing I want to hit on again, not well, not again, but like break down even more so is you you, t you talk about hunting blind. Um, you know, we kind of touched on this this is a little while ago, but we didn't really go into the specifics. You know, what is your reasoning for you know hunting blind? And what we mean by blind is you're not going in pre scouting spots. Uh, or anything like that, you're literally going off what you're finding on the maps and going in and setting up, uh, especially in the darks on morning hunts. You know, why do you do that? Why has your style kind of built around that versus kind of doing the traditional, you know, kind of scouting, whether it's in season, postseason, or whatever? Yeah, no, the, 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 you hit the nail right on the head. I'm going to a new spot. I'm going to say 75% of the time I'm going in at dark. So whenever I say I go in blind, I want to go in blind. And the reason being is the same way of having that that lucky tree that you've been to for eight years. Um, I don't want to overthink something. So I know how deer move on a map. I've seen it. And the, my biggest advice to people is start writing down the way that you see these deer moving across these ridges. Screenshot it right over the top of it. Put it in the notes, whatever, so that, you know, you're building that every time you go hunt one of these terrain features, you're building that book, right? So for me... I like to find a spot on a map. I like to go in in the dark. And the only reason for that is the only sign I see is what is underneath my damn feet. I'm not worried about what's 300 yards from me right now. I'm worried about what's underneath my feet. So I have enough confidence in myself that I can look at this topo map and go, okay, deer ought to travel right here. And so whenever I go in blind, it keeps me, in my opinion, from setting up 80 yards away from something. So, you know, for instance, say you're going in and you find a trail, right? And, um, I'm a firm believer that bucks traditionally don't travel on doe trails unless they're, you know, cold trailing, for lack of a better term, cold trailing a doe. Um, so usually in, in my experience, like if I'm going to hunt 
a heavy travel trail i hunt 40 yards from it or so you know trying to get the buck right underneath me but anyways so say that i walk in and i'm going into a spot and, and i find the saddle and i'm like all right this is the, this is the uh the gradual slope um finger coming off this is what i'm gonna hunt and so i start down that thing and i find a trail and i'm like this is where those deer are moving well if it's daylight and i look down i don't give a damn who the hell you are i look down on the edge of that bottom and I see a I see a rug that's as big around as my thigh. You know what I mean? And it starts sliding over. Like you can't help it. It just is what it is because you see this giant rug. And God forbid I'm sitting on this trail and this 160 comes over here and hits that giant rug and I wasn't on it. And most of us believe or know that are you can you kill a deer over a rug during daylight? Yes, but does it happen very often? No. You know what I mean? Like it's not it's not the way that most people hunt. And it's not good, you know, most of us believe that they do that kind of stuff at night. And so if I'm looking at the sun that's right underneath me, that's all I'm going off of. And so I don't overthink a spot. I don't see a spot 80 yards. I'm not sitting on this ridge going, man, this looks great. But maybe, oh man, look at that over there. That looks like a pretty good flat spot. Maybe there's a bunch of sign over there. And now I'm walking over there and all I'm doing for lack of a better term is I'm spreading human scent all over the shit, right? If you're a scent guy, that's all you're doing. So why would you do that, right? So if you're a scent guy and you're thinking, oh man, you know, my scent really, really matters um, and I can't beat this deer's nose. Well, why are you going way over there and then turn around walking back to the sign you found first? You just stock up your whole area if you're a scent guy and that's the way that you believe. Um, I do the exact same thing that I'm telling those dudes that they should do, but not for the same reasons. I'm doing it because I don't want to bust up sign and get caught in between two. And now, now I'm sitting here going, I wonder if I can see 50 yards to that spot, 50 yards to that spot. I can sit in between them and shoot 50 yards both ways. You know, whenever really that deer ends up crossing where I thought I should have sat in the first place. So I, I traditionally, if I'm going to a big spot, I try to go in at night. I try to go in blind. One thing, you know, like I said, is touching on what uh, what he was talking about earlier is you know, the crosswind and having a wind that shifts a little bit. So if, if you're a scent guy and you go in and the wind's hitting you in the face and it shifts just a little bit, your best opportunity to kill that deer is the first time you're in that tree. Because by the time he gets to that crosswind, there's a chance if you're on your game, he doesn't know what you are. He doesn't know yet that you're a danger, right? Well, once you've been in there three or four times and eating Debbie cakes or whatever, you know, now he knows that that's not supposed to be there. You know what I mean? But that first time, and I always say, like, if I hunt, if I go in, this is another important thing that we haven't hit on yet either, is I'm not going to hunt a spot more than two days. I don't give a damn if it's my favorite spot, and every year, like that place I was talking about earlier, Clippy's Playhouse, right? I've killed a bunch of deer in there. Um, but in Clippy's Playhouse, I'm only hunting it two days. And then after two days, I'll give it a three-day break, and then I'll come in and I'll move somewhere else in there. I won't hunt that exact same spot, even though I know the way that the deer usually travel in that area with the wind because I've hunted there so much. It just is what it is, right? I've put in time and um, I've learned it. But the same thing goes goes there is, you know, I'm really going in blind every time I go to Clippy's Playhouse as well. And my friends always laugh at me because in that, it's really an 800 block, 800 acre block of timber that we call Clippy's Playhouse because I've killed deer all over it, right? Um, but the reason being is because every time I go in there, I go in there like I'm going in blind. It's the, it's the same thing. I walk in on a ridge. Um, I try to find, you know, there's three saddles down this ridge. And so um, judging by the wind and trying to catch the, the bed that I know now is to the north of me. Um, that's the reason I was using that east and west earlier, right? Because it's Cliffy's Playhouse. This is what it is. Natural. But uh, 
But anyways, I know which ridge that I think they should be or which finger they should be walking up depending on the wind. And so I'll start there. And if that's not where they're at, then I just keep moving until, you know, I scout my way into a spot. So the last place that my scent is at, if I was a scent guy and, and really worked off of that, last place my scent's at is where my ass is sitting. What does your access routes look like when you're hunting blind uh, or, or going in blind? And the reason why I can relate with you on this, because that's like the number one way I, I like started hunting publicly. And I mean, I still do that today. I have more excitement hunting areas blind than areas I've scouted and have found the best sign ever in the world. Like when I go in blind, it's like the, the, um, it's the opportunity of just the unknown, but the possibilities of what could be there has me more excited than already seeing sign in the areas and be like, okay, I kind of already have a general idea of how to approach this, just that hunting blind. And plus I'll say this, you know, the, the biggest bucks I've ever seen period on public land, we're all going on blind sits and all of them pretty freaking far from the truck. Um, but access, I think something that's really interesting because you mentioned you really don't want to walk somewhere and then start zigzagging or, you know, walking up areas um, that you potentially aren't going to set up on, but potentially where the deer are going to come from. You, it seems like you're pretty much going in on a beeline for for the most part, finding the sign and setting up on it, and you're not kind of running around to different sides of the ridge a whole bunch. But what does your access route normally looks like? I mean, are you are you walking the top of the ridges? You working bottoms, side hills? Like, what is your approach normally in hill country when you're trying to go into an area, especially blind? Going in blind, I always walk the tops. Is what it is. It's just the 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 way that I do it, I try. I try again. I'm I'm not a wind guy, but you know, if I can keep the wind in my favor walking in, like I think that whether you're a wind guy or not a wind guy, you use anything that could benefit you five percent, right? So if that wind could benefit me five percent, then that's what I'm gonna do, right? So I will. I always walk to the top of the ridges until I get to where I want to fall off at, because. 90% of the mature bucks that I've ever seen are not just standing on top of a ridge line walking down it. Now, will they cross it? Obviously, right? They're going to cross over it. Um, my man over here hunts a saddle. He gets it, right? So they're, they're going to they're gonna cross it. But most of the time, you're not going to see those big deer walking that damn ridge line. So I don't care about that, though. So, you know, it's just like people thinking, you know, deer blow and they climb down their tree and they get the hell out. No. Right? So if, if I walk in and, you know, if a deer is going to catch that ground scent, 99% of the time it's an old doe, right? It just, it, it, that's been my experience anyway. So I stay on top of the ridges and the reason being is I don't want to walk that quarter of the way down the ridge or, you know, ha or uh, the three quarter way down the ridge where I believe those bucks are going to cruise at. I don't want anything down there. I don't want them to have a damn clue that I'm in here. And if they're down there, like I said before, I'll keep my light really dim whenever I walk in. I make all kinds of damn noise. I'm not a lot of trip all the time, right? But I'm constantly either tooting a ground call or whatever. Um, I'm like a bull in a china shop going to the woods. I'm not lying to you. Uh, ask any of my buddies. Maybe it's because my dad just beat the hell out of me for stepping on limbs. So now I'm just stomping them. I'm like, I do what I want. I'm grumpy, you know? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but when I go in, man, I, I stay on top of those ridges until I find that point. And, and my, again, you know, I go back to the, my best advice to people is do not overthink a spot. There's nothing wrong with hunting into an area, right? So if you go in and you you walk into this saddle and you end up sitting on this finger on this side and you see that big buck, the other side of it, and he goes down and just goes on doing his own business, he can move over there the next day. Nobody says you have to stay over here. So why waste, why waste the opportunity to go in there 
you know, again, I like to call. So to me, it doesn't matter if he walks that one. I'm going to try to call him to me anyways. You know what I mean? But if you're not a guy that likes to call, you like to be quiet, that's hanging and hoping, like, that's fine. You know what I mean? But there's no reason to go all over, back and forth, up and down these fingers until you find the exact perfect finger. There's no reason to do that. You can you can go in, set up on the first one that you think is going to be the right one, which, again, to me, is that easiest trail in between here and the ridge that goes up over the next one. Um, set up on it, hunt it, and if you're like, oh, man, now that I'm in here, I realize that, you know, halfway down this finger, and this is another part we haven't talked about, but there's three oak trees, uh, and I almost said something I was supposed to, but there's three oak trees that are top to bottom laying down, right? So it's keeping, yeah, you see what I'm talking about? <laughs> but uh, there's three oak trees top to bottom laying down, and it's keeping deer from moving up the finger. That's, that is that 25%. I always say that, man, I'm 75% accurate when I look at a topo map and I go in. That 25% is the stuff that I can't help. I could not see that there were three big oak trees laying on this that, are causing the deer instead of coming straight up this finger or crossing this finger now they're going to that next one and kind of skirting around the edge of it because these big trees are keeping them from doing what i think they should do and you don't know that until you get in the tree you know what i mean um or at least until you get in there so in in those situations well you might have to lay down a more, little bit more ground scent because you didn't know about that 25 percent. it just is what it is but um you know yeah to answer your original question, I'm sorry, man, I like to ramble. Um, I walk in on top. I'm walking on top until I get to the the finger that I'm wanting to go on, and and then I go to it. And I don't second guess myself. That's the plus side about going blind, and uh, like you were talking about earlier, you know, seeing big deer. It's the same reason that I don't run trail cameras. I do right here behind my house on my little piece of property here, but um, two reasons. A, you know, it goes back to that. Don't let something walk on the first day to shoot on the last day. Just uh, probably why I have a whole wall of 130s and 140s i'm sure there was a 150 and 160 in the area but you know not having a camera in there i didn't know about them so as oh, far as i know i killed the biggest damn deer in the woods you know what i mean it's <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. a good way to look it, at it. it to me no different do i that's a good way to look at it that's a good outlook right there yeah hell yes yeah absolutely uh by, by the way so again i i have a ton of I know th- th- I hold hunting blind or going in blind, like very close to my heart. Like, again, that's like throwback to like, I mean, out of high school, early college days, uh, you know, hunting public land, going in blind, having failures, having successes, just an absolute blast. So like, you know, when you mentioned earlier on, uh, before we started recording that, you know, you love to hunt blind. I'm like, dude, I can, I can relate with you, which is, I get it's, it's opposite of what you hear in the hunting industry. And from 99% of every other person that we've ever interviewed, not many people talk about hunting blind, which is fine. And I'll be honest at certain times of the year, like you mentioned earlier for early season, doesn't really work out normally very well. Uh, but for the rut hunting blind, hunting those travel corridors, hunting, you know, things that you can see on aerial maps, topographical maps, whether it's habitat edges, like diversity mixed with some kind of terrain features, saddles, benches, um, these secondary ridge points, these compounding features, the, these thermal hubs, you, you can you can hunt an area blind during the rut, especially in these compounding features based off topographical maps and aerial maps and do pretty good. I mean, you really can, especially if you're not just a true diehard bow hunter and you are taking the rifle out a little bit during rifle season, maybe rifle season is during the rut. 
you can be extremely effective hunting blind in a lot of these areas doing that if that's your style of hunting. If you're just a diehard bow hunter, you can still be very effective doing it. But again, it, it's weird because I've met people that like, they looked at hunting blind like, oh man, like you're like the black sheep in the, in, in like the hunting group, bro. Like, you know, oh man, you don't go scout. I'm like, it, it's different. Uh, especially if you travel a whole bunch and you hunt a bunch of different pieces of public land, you're not hunting the same 600 acres the whole freaking season. Um, at some point you're going to have to, or they, you better have a lot of free time in the off season as well to put in a lot of scouting. If you're going to be hunting a bunch of different properties across the, not even across the state, but across the country too. Um, so you got to get really good, but I'll say this. There are certain guys I have met who are very efficient hunting blind, especially when they go to like one of these Midwestern states like Missouri and Illinois uh, and Ohio and stuff like that, where they're going in blind, they're hunting off those terrain features and they're king on certain things and they do very, very well in those situations. So again, I can, I hold this topic very hard to, or very close to my heart. Cause I'm like, man, it's like the throwback days, man. It's like, again, didn't really know much of anything. Just going in using like Onyx and Google earth and like, okay, this looks like a pretty cool edge go in there and, maybe see 25 deer maybe see nothing but a couple bobcats and a squirrel maybe who knows uh which did happen on one referencing a specific hunt yeah absolutely (laughs) oh man uh good times but um all right so clifton well one thing i wanted to touch on uh which was a little bit more of what are some of these different travel corridors some of these different things that you can key in on you're seeing in hill country um you know we talked about the saddles talked about some of these different fingers but is there anything else any other kind of uh, travel corridors that you can see on a topographical map and be like you know this is something i want to go in and i want i want to target this especially if i'm going blind or hey even if a guy does want to scout some of these spots in the postseason or whenever and they're going to try to scout these you know travel corridor areas what are some of those things that you'll key in on based off what you're finding on the maps in my opinion if you go in early season you're trying to scout these travel corridors for the rut you're wasting your time to me, to, to me, and I have put down a many a mile trying to make that work, and it just never does. Bucks, are, to me, are just like deer. They have their natural travel route, blah, blah, blah. And, and yeah, for, for me, honestly, man, I just, I really and truly just focus on saddles, um, gradual falling down uh, fingers. So if there's, you know, if there's a ridge and it's got seven fingers that, you know, all the lines, if for guys that don't know how to read a topo map, all the lines are extremely close together. Well, I stay the hell away from them, but if I find one that, you know, kind of gives that V shape where it's, you know, they're more spread out um, and there's not a good saddle, I feel like, you know, there's a good thicket on one side and maybe there's a bedding area or a feeding area on the other side of that ridge, then I, I'm going to go to that finger. Really and truly, I just look for those those gradual fingers, those Joe trails um, or saddles. And then uh, that's that's the two main things that I honestly focus on. It, it, to me, it's it's that simple. And I know it sounds bad, but that's just, that's what I do. Don't, don't fix it if it ain't broken. Is there anything that we've talked about or anything that we have not talked about that's kind of glaring in your mind? Uh, something that you wish you'd mentioned or anything like that? Any, any integral part of what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Stay the hell away from bowls. You see a lot of bucks on in bowls, right? Um, whether that's a plateau on the side of a ridge, like a shelf that's kind of made into a bowl there or down in a bottom where a bunch of fingers come together um, from multiple ridges. So you see guys that, uh, you know, whenever you go in there, it looks like a good ambush point. So, you know, starting out from bow hunting, I always focused on pinch points. And I've made this mistake over and over and over again. 
um, especially before I started using like camo dust and stuff like that and, and started paying attention to make sure I was washing my stuff, um, you know, outside of laundry detergent and stuff like that. So um, to me, so bowls, you do see a lot of bucks on in there and you're going to see a lot of buck activity inside of bowls. But the reason it's like a toilet bowl. So everything pulls down inside of that bowl. So if you see a bunch of bucks on or you're slipping around and you see that deer in that bowl and you're wanting to figure out how to uh, to hunt that deer, you need to focus on the way that he's getting into that bowl or the ridge that he's crossing before he ever gets there. Don't set up in a bowl. You are setting yourself up for failure 110%. So uh, let, me, let me ask this, uh, just as a little bit final piece of advice for some of our listeners, you know, we do have, we have a, a wide range of people with different backgrounds that listen to the podcast. Some guys have been bow hunting for 40 years and they listen to the podcast because, you know, they enjoy the show. They might enjoy some of the different guests and they might pick up the something small that they can kind of implement with what they're doing. And then we have on the flip side, someone, this might be their first or second ever bow season, um, you know, or first or second ever deer season. And they're trying to learn as much as possible. So you have guys with, or people of different backgrounds, both men and women that listen to the show. But when it comes to reading topo maps, is there any piece of advice, again, to key in on some of the things that we've talked about, which, you know, we all have experience reading topo maps, uh, a lot of experience with that. But for someone that's a little more green, do you have any pieces of advice for people to go out there and start keying in on some of these things that we've talked about and learning how to read those topo maps and figure out some of these different things that we've discussed so far in this episode? That's right. So, hey, look, um, and this is this is extremely basic, right? So don't, so don't beat me up. Uh, when we talk about saddles, um, for lack of a better term, guys, Look on a map and find a set of boots. It just is what it is. It's the best way to describe it. Right? And, and everybody, everybody wants to say it. Nobody will say it. It just is what it is, right? Um, in between those two peaks is your saddle. Look, guys, so whenever you see contour lines that are facing back towards the ridge, it means it's a drainage, right? When you see contour lines that are shaping back away from the ridge, it means it's a slope down. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about these fingers. Um, and so, you know, find one of those slope down off of, off of one of those, uh, those saddles in between the boobs or off the side of the boob, um, that doesn't have lines as close together. And that's, that's what we're talking about here. Um, I don't know if that's what you're asking about, but that's, you know, that's, that's about as basic as you guys can get it. You know what I mean? Um, if you have the opportunity to find, you know, you can, you can find a ridge on your map that looks extremely, extremely thick and the one that is going to be, you know, downwind of it somewhere um, is a little bit more open. Use that to your advantage. Um, I would go in first on the one that's a little bit more open. And then if, there, if there's not deer sign there, then the, the deer just aren't using it. You know, don't, don't let that be an end-all, be-all. Be versatile. Be ready to move. Um, hunt it. See what happens. Use your calls. Deer are way more vocal um, than people give them credit for. I think the deer grunt. They, they, bleed, they do this shit all throughout the year. You know, um, and so so use your cause, your advantage, use them. What's the worst that's going to happen? A deer gets downwind of you and he busts you because, you know, you walked through some diesel that morning or something. Um, that's fine. You know, that was one thing I was talking about earlier. I'm sorry to get, you know, kind of down a rabbit hole again. Um, but you hear a bunch of guys that are worried about busting deer. And I'm not saying that I'm not worried about busting deer. But if you're, if you're hearing a deer blow, it wasn't a buck. Uh, you know, I always hear guys talking about, I, I don't do anything. I stand up there and, you know, pinch a snuff my mouth, spit on the ground, never get busted because they don't blow at me. No, dumbass, they just left without blowing. You know what I mean? Um, but if you hear a deer blow, it's not the end of the world. You know what I mean? I can't tell you how many times I've been in the stand and I've got caught moving. 
and a deer goes to blowing and stomping, and the deer that drove, you know, she takes off running, because it's always a doe every time. And she takes off running, and the other ones are looking at her, she's a dumbass, and goes back to eating acorns. You know what I mean? So remember that, guys. Just um, use those contour lines to your advantage. A, it's easier on you, right? It's, it's easier for you to move up and down these ridges using those contour lines. Why would deer not do the same thing? If a, uh, if a doe isn't ready and she's trying to get away from that buck, she's trying to outrun it, right? The, the buck is trying to get her pinched into something so that, you know, he can do his thing. But she's trying to outrun him, so she's going to use those easy trails. She's going to try to get the hell away from him. Um, and so, you know, find those spots. It's easy for you. It's going to be easy for them, too, and I think that you'll be successful. All right. I got – this is the last thing. That we'll end it on this, but I got to ask because I completely forgot to ask this earlier – since since you're you're a big saddle guy, you like hunting saddles. Do you like the uh, basically what size saddle do you like? Because the saddle that I was referring to earlier that I've killed the three bucks out of, it's what what I call like a landscape saddle. It's like a humongous saddle that cuts across this giant ridge. Uh, it's like big enough to where some people might not even realize it's a saddle. Um, and it's just you can hunt. It, I don't know. I need to measure it. It's several hundred yards across. I mean, it's humongous. Do you like saddles like that? Or are you liking more of the tighter saddles up on top of ridges that, you know, maybe you're only like a hundred yards across or something like that or smaller? I prefer the tight saddle. And the, and the only reason is, so they're going to use both of them the same. The only reason I prefer the tight saddles is because my shots are going to be closer. I don't have, it goes back to that same theory as earlier that I go about, you know, not overthinking a spot. If I've got 500 acres to pick a, or 500 yards to pick a tree in, um, I might mess that up. But if I've only got 80 yards to pick a tree in, I'm going to get pretty close. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. But sometimes you don't have a choice, just like whenever I was in Missouri. Um, that was a saddle that's the same way you're talking about. You might not even realize it's a saddle, but it's all the same. Um, if it's 500 yards across, there's still going to be a gradual line following down somewhere. And whether it's steep or it's, you know, uh, more of a flat land, they're, they're going to take that easier route. So I, I would I would do the same thing. So what I did in Missouri, it, it worked. Um, if there anybody listening to this from South Florida, I feel bad for those guys and the way they have to hunt. That place beat my ass this year. It wasn't fun at all. I did not enjoy it. Um, but anyways, you can't use that down there because that wasn't there. So you have to go back to Peach Points. And that's that's the... The last thing I'll say is, you know, if you're if you're not using saddles, um, you're not using hill country, and you're in a more of a flatland, um, pinch points. You know, for the for those beginners, the the guys that have been hunting a long time. Most of them like to hunt thicket edges, and you know, like to hunt feed trees and and those kind of things. And there's you know nothing wrong with that. But if you're new, find your pinch point, find your creek. If you're brand new, look, guys, I don't care if you're in the hills or if you're on flatland. If you are brand new to bow hunting and you are listening to this. Pull up your topo map, find a creek bed, and walk that creek bed till you find a crossing. You will be successful. There is absolutely no way to not be successful doing that. You might have to sit it for two days until a deer crosses it, and I'm not telling you you're going to kill the biggest deer in the woods, but if you're listening to this podcast and you're still hanging on at this point, find your creek, walk it, and find your crossing, man, and, and kill a deer. Be happy. Be like everybody else. I love it. I love it, man. With the kind of the aerial maps and everything, kind of looking at the different locations, you know, it, it'd be kind of interesting to kind of see, you know, on on a map, 
again, some unhunted property of kind of how you'd actually set up around these saddles and again, where there's the top quarter, the bottom quarter and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I know, um, I guess previously before we were actually doing the recording, you'd mentioned that you're working on a video right now, uh, actually putting this together for, you know, both the listeners and also some of your followers on the YouTube channel to be able to visually go and see some of these areas, uh, based off some of the stuff you're working on. So talk a little bit about what you've got planned for that video. So guys that are listening to this podcast can go and watch it and kind of see the different setups on the ridges and how you're actually doing that and reading the topo maps. And also again, where guys can check out some of your hunts and gear reviews and everything else on your, on your YouTube channel. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. So, um, Actually, the the first portion of that is is dropping Sunday, which is that that buck video from Missouri that we were just talking about. So, you know, if you've listened to this, you will actually be able to. I talk about it actually in my video while I'm sitting in the stand as well, and you can see the wind is blowing. You know exactly what I'm saying. Like it's you know you you can't lie to a visual. You know what I mean? And uh, and so, anyways, um, yeah. So that's the first piece of it, and then. Hopefully, guys, it's probably going to be the end of November before I get it all together because I don't want to just throw anything together quick. Um, like I said, on my page, uh, on my YouTube page, it's most of the emails and most of the comments I get are about topo maps. Um, and so, and so, anyways, by the end of November, um, make sure you know. Yeah, for sure, I'll come back with you guys too. But if you get a chance to go check that out, hopefully by the end of November it'll be up. If not, it'll be the first week of uh, December. But Basically, what I'm trying to do is compile three or four different areas. So it kind of touches on what we were talking about a while ago, um, the tighter kind of saddles and then the, the wider ones and, and the, way that, um, the way that I would use the wind currents and the terrain features and where I would hunt. Um, and I can tell you, you know, here and over there, just a, a quick, like, example. My, uh, my brother, um, he's a few years older than me, but um, where I hunt, the, the Cliffy's Playhouse, right? So he uh, actually sent him a screenshot of that spot and then the place that we hunt i don't know fifty thousand acres um of public land and so anyways he actually took that screenshot and found him a spot that looked similar to that and then he killed the biggest buck of his life two days later so oh dude, uh, that's awesome there's definitely a method to the madness i might not be able to speak it exactly right but i promise it absolutely so uh gives this to kind of plug it uh what, what's the name of you, your youtube channel and also your facebook group so guys can kind of you know keep up uh, with you and also you know if anyone has any questions they can read he can they can reach out to you through either facebook or uh if you're on instagram and then also on your youtube channel so working guys kind of find your youtube content and also your facebook group yeah um so uh i've got on your own outdoors is the name of it there's a uh an image of it i don't know for the guys that are watching if you can see it might be too pixelated but uh it's on your own outdoors and if you get on youtube um you can type in clifton denny um on your own outdoors usually it pulls up you do on your own outdoors but uh you can you can find me on the uh on youtube on tiktok on facebook or on instagram and all of the handles are on your own outdoors um, or you can personally message me. I, I don't care. That's fine. <laughs> but yeah, especially if you have any questions. Um, I, I, I love like, so with my job and what I do in the military now, like I do a lot more training guys than I, I did, you know, do anything else. And, um, and that's the reason that I started my page is like, I love seeing other people successful. I think it's awesome. If I can take one of my buddies and put him in an area and he kills the biggest bug of his life, I'm just as excited running a knife to that deer as I am, um, you know, so um more than welcome to help out any at all so awesome nice all right well perfect well clifton thank you again for coming on for this week's episode of the podcast uh, again make sure guys you, you're liking and subscribe to the podcast uh check out uh clifton's uh, youtube channel uh check out the facebook group as well and uh man until next time brother good luck for the rest of your season i know y'all got a lot of season left up in arkansas 
but uh, I'm sure there'll be some more bucks in the ground sometime soon. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Hey, by the way, 5 p.m. on Sunday, that's when that buck video dropping. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, we do. And it, it's just getting right in Arkansas. So. I appreciate you guys for having me on, man. I enjoyed it. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no brainer. You got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.